talk is about to begin. Hey, 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 come on in. Welcome back to Buckeye Talk. Doug Maurice, Nathan Baird, and Stephen Means. We're squeezing this in. It's the bye week, but yet it's a busy week. So, right off the top, an important announcement that may cause some of you to turn this podcast off immediately. This is not the pizza eating podcast. We thought it was going to be, but some logistical things have popped up. We want to do that right because we definitely want to give a 25-year-old man a chance to try to eat eight giant slices of Chicago-style stuffed pizza, and it just wasn't going to work this week. We will do it next week because next week is Maryland, and that will still be boring football-wise. Ohio State's always interesting. Maryland will be boring. So we'll eat pizza. We'll do it upright. But also right now, Stephen is not here. We are in the Schottenstein Center. We're here uh, recording the pod. Stephen's at Basketball Interviews. He'll be joining us shortly. But for now, it's me and Nathan. And we're going to have a guest later. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN spoke with me earlier. Interesting conversation there. We're going to dive into some stuff. I guess we should start with five headlines. We did not talk about it previously, so I'm going to make this up off the top of my head. Um, number one, Nathan Baird. We met with Ryan Day and some players today. What did you think of all the Heisman jibber-jabber that is around Ohio State right now? Well, I mean, you know, I, it's what they wanted in a lot of ways. I mean, at the start of this season, they were um, not the darling of the Big Ten in some ways. You know, people thought this was going to be, you know, Michigan's year to gain some traction and maybe be the year to knock Ohio State off. And people have a lot of questions about Ohio State. And they've subsequently answered all of them pretty emphatically. And so in, in some ways, I think that's what maybe this next couple of weeks about is how does this team sort of um, – internalize and um just uh um what do you want to say? what's the word i'm looking for um how do they just deal with this what is now like people giving them their their due respect i mean they're eight points away in the poll from of thousands and thousands, thousands I I of asked points you, I asked about heisman stuff that was maybe number two i'm trying to make these headlines up <laughs> sorry so okay you bled into that number two what goes with it, right? Ryan Day is clearly trying to address the fact that everybody loves them right now. It's kind of the same thing. So they're dealing with Heisman hype for three guys, also the fact that a lot of people are viewing them as the best team in the country. And it goes hand in hand. Well, it does, yeah, because now it, it's your, your stars are, are making an impact. But as he's said multiple times, if you don't win the games, then that doesn't matter. And I think we've seen that play out here across the country recently where, uh, you know, Oklahoma loses, so now all of a sudden that's one Heisman uh, candidacy that, that takes a shot. Or uh, Georgia loses, although I don't know if they really had anybody who was necessarily a front runner, I think, at the time. But all of a sudden it's much harder to win the, the Heisman Trophy coming from Georgia. People are already looking to the Alabama-LSU game. If whoever loses that game takes a shot as far as their Heisman candidacy potentially, although Tua is obviously compromised a little bit right now just because of his injury situation. So it, it does go hand in hand. I think is the more... All Ohio State, I think, cares about, and if you were to go ask Chase Young, I would tell you, I, I'm pretty sure he would pretty seriously be able to tell you, maybe not all he cares about, but the majority of what he cares about is that Ohio State gets into the playoff again and has a chance to win a national championship. And if they do that, he'll be seen as one of the reasons they do that, and it further enhances his Heisman Trophy candidacy. If he doesn't do that, or if, or, or if they don't do that, or if, or if Ohio State doesn't get that far, then it hurts his candidacy, it hurts... Justin Fields' candidacy. Of course, now you can look at him and say, okay, maybe his stats aren't that great, but look at how he helped elevate this team to the, a level that people thought was elusive for them this year. He's, they've surpassed what anybody thought they could, and a lot of it is because of him. I think those sorts of 
candidacies only can come to fruition if this team does what it's supposed to do. We're going to have to manage our Heisman discussion here on Buckeye Talk because it's all nothing. It's all air. It's all puffed up nonsense until the vote is time to vote. Um, it's interesting, but it's not really meaningful. And I say that as a person, as a person who wrote 1,500 words about Chase Young's Heisman candidacy after the game Saturday. So we're going to make sure we're smart about it. Um, there were a lot of repetitive questions uh, on Tuesday, and we're just going to have to make sure our, our Heisman discussion is about things that actually matter, because a lot of this doesn't matter, at least for the next month, obviously. Number three on the headlines, Ryan Day brought up Davon Hamilton, was asked about him today. It's an interesting thing. We actually have a question I want to get into a little bit later. The fifth-year seniors who are helping this team win, I, I thought it was interesting how much Ryan Day talked about Hamilton, how far he's come, how well he's played. He definitely helped uh, control the center of the line of scrimmage against Wisconsin on Saturday, and I think it's something to keep in mind. And again, we'll get into a bigger question. These older guys who are not superstars but are doing their jobs are a big part of how this all comes together, and I think Davon Hamilton is a really good example of that um, at this point in time. Um, number four, Ryan Day wore a sharp blazer today. Our friend Ari Wasserman commented on it. What did you think of Ryan Day's blazer? I thought it was pretty sharp. It made me wonder, though, if it's like one of those things where he just always has a blazer like that probably in his office and he can throw it on over what's otherwise a more casual look and now all of a sudden you look a lot sharper. I like it because I feel like Ryan Day and I are from the same style template. And so are you, which is... 40-year-old white guy style template. So, sure. like, uh, like you know, that's like I appreciate. Um, I feel like I could go shopping at Kohl's with Ryan Day, you know? Like, he well, would not want to do that with me, but I would want to do it with him. Also, I mean, like 85% of my wardrobe came from not just Kohl's, but, like, the clearance rack oh, yeah. at Kohl's. Ryan Day does not have to shop at the clearance rack. My two favorite places in the world are Disney World and the clearance rack at Kohl's. <laughs> um, number five, Garrett Wilson as a punt returner. I've been sort of. I got to write this special team story. It's eight weeks old at this point. I find it interesting that they are leaning toward a dynamic young guy, even in the rain against Wisconsin, rather than just putting KJ Hill back there and telling a veteran just to catch it. They let Garrett Wilson try to do some things. That is a sign to me that they're just being a little more aggressive on special teams. I'm very curious. I think Garrett Wilson, we talked about it, we'll talk more about him at the end of the season. I think he can really help them. I think they're trying to figure that out. If we need a punt return against Penn State or Michigan, if we need to put someone back there and say, we need to do more than catch it right now, can we trust you to do it? Let's test you out. I think he's passing the test so far. Yeah, I do, although I, I want to go back and look and see, because from my recollection, I'm not seeing him necessarily in the highest leverage situations. Like, he's not he's not back there returning the first punt of the game when, when, a, when an opponent on their first drive stalls at midfield, and now they're punting, and somebody has to field the punt inside the 15, but it's not going to go for a touchback, and, you, and, and ball security becomes the most important thing. That's not where they're turning to Garrett Wilson. They have given him some options, though, some opportunities later in games, where the, the score gets a little bit more comfortable, and he has responded. So I think you're right. I think they see him as a potential weapon there. What I want to know is, do they see him, when will they see him as a consistent weapon, or will it be more of a something that's very contingent on a game situation? Do they ever just turn him loose and say, this is your job, you can return five, six punts a game? Because he's. we've seen how close he is to breaking it once he just gets you know these this lone opportunity every game. So what happens when you give him repetitive opportunities and he gets to take five or six shots at it? I think he has a chance to be one of the most dynamic guys they've had back there I, yeah, since Ted Ginn Jr. But I don't, know that it, I don't know that it happens 
in, in, in full form by the end well, of this year. It, and it's one of those things, again, and I talked to Justin Fields about this on Tuesday, about his running. It's the same thing. They'll do it when they need it. If you don't need it, if well, catching the ball and giving the ball to the offense is going to get 50 points on the board, then why risk it all the time? But if they get in a spot where we can't move it, this you know this is a chance for us to switch field position. We need a big return. They just don't get in that spot very much. They yeah. haven't been close to that spot this year. They don't get into that spot very much as a program, which is why – see, this is the story I should have written like nine weeks ago, which is the story. It's like why they put their best athletes to cover punts and pin teams back and let their defense attack you rather than to return punts because they don't need to. They trust the offense, and they have enough dynamic athletes there. They don't have to risk the risky part of a punt return. Yeah, and we also talked about this directly in relation to Garrett Wilson earlier this season, which was sometimes when you're a freshman and you're playing on a team this talented, flashing can kind of be enough. It doesn't necessarily have to be a constant thing. You're going to get a moment. You're primed for that moment, and you go out there and make some of the catches he's made or some of the punt returns he's made. You're not going to – somebody who's going to maybe be – out there to be as exposed as much, you get put sometimes in opportunities to just flash and, and they can get the most out of your talents when you've got veteran guys who are the every down guys. All right, so that was a long look at five headlines to open this podcast. Make sure you drop a review for us on iTunes. We appreciate it. Uh, somebody mentioned the jelly beans eating after the game on Saturday. Somebody was like, who was breathing into the microphone and eating jelly beans? And it's like, there is only one candidate for that. Um, so I apologize for that if you heard me breathe. I ate my portion of the jelly beans while we were waiting on you to show up. Yeah, no. Oh, that was smart. Yeah, no, I ate mine during the show. Yeah. So we've had that issue in the past times on Buckeye Talk. Uh, other than Stephen eating a whole pizza, we will try to remove uh, the eating from the show. Um, we want to get into your questions. Again, we have Adam Rittenberg from ESPN.com coming up shortly, but I want to start off, and Adam and I talked about this, which sort of, sort of spurred our discussion, and so you'll hear Adam's view on this later, but it's what I want to lead with on this bi-week podcast from Buckeye Talk. Try the text, by the way, cleveland.com slash OSU, 14-day free trial. Somebody said uh, they stopped listening to the podcast because I talked about the text too much. I don't want you to feel left out if you don't get the text, but I'm trying to make money. I'll just try it, cleveland.com slash OSU. I won't say it again. Well, I will. I won't say it again right now. When is Ohio State going to stop being good? <laughs> here's, here's the point of this. We wrote a series at Cleveland.com as a season preview several years ago. Really proud of it. Thought it was quite good. Uh, about Ohio State being the most indestructible team in college football, arguably the most indestructible sports team in America. Just because they have not had a sustained period, a sustained down period, like two or three or four years of down, um, for decades, since Woody Hayes got it rolling. Um, it feels like to me that this would have been a thing if you were the rest of the Big Ten, if you were James Franklin or Jim Harbaugh or anybody else. It's like, we got rid of Urban. This is our shot. And now in your window, Michigan, Wisconsin, Penn State, Minnesota, Nebraska, Michigan State, anybody else trying to do anything, your window, Ryan Day is standing right in the middle of the open window with an 8-0 record, and he's only 40 years old. So the question is, let's start from the outside view. Like, how do you think the rest of the Big Ten is looking at this right now, Nathan? Would you be banging your head against a wall? Well, I, I want to say one thing first that needs to be pointed out is they haven't got rid of Urban yet. The, the 2017 True. and 2018 recruiting classes that Urban put together are still here. 
Um, they are the nucleus of this team. Uh, they are the reason why this team is right now the best team in college football. So it's they may have gotten rid of him on the sidelines and, and in the hallways around the, the Woody all week, but they have not gotten rid of his presence and the, the the players that he brought into the program. So I think that's important right now that that transition hasn't fully made. I think what is interesting is if you're the rest of the Big Ten, um, I think you, you recognize that, but I think you also see, I think the, the window is still open for you to potentially take advantage, and I think it's up to Ryan Day to capitalize on what's going on right now and close that window. Um, whether that's via recruiting, whether that's just you know, but what, but what? It's not closed already. Why Does, hasn't Ryan Day slammed it shut with the way he's recruiting? And again, I think if your point is, well, we got to see what happens when this is a full Ryan Day team. Yeah, and also but I, I would feel like it already slammed on my fingers a little bit. If yeah, I was Michigan or Penn State. M- maybe I, I, I guess I, I guess I, I still see what is happening in this recruiting class. Those things start so early. I don't know if I consider that window completely closed, but what they're doing with it is probably closing. I mean, if they go out and win a national championship this year, and then you get to just build off of that for the next two, three, four recruiting classes, um, regardless of what happens when when you have a, pr- a pretty big mass exodus of talent after this year, um, I, I do think that probably closes that window. I mean, you're right that that. I wrote about this a little bit last week in relation to Wisconsin, and you can write about it in relation to pretty much every other team in the Big Ten. I mean, they all get up to a certain level. They all flirt with a certain level of success. You'll have a year every, what, decade or so that Iowa is like the number five team in the country for a hot minute, or, you know, Michigan, Penn State. These teams have been, you know, 10-win teams and and successful teams by most people's measures, but they are that level below Ohio State. it has happened in the Big Ten past. I think that as we were we were first talking about this, we were just you know walking out of the Woody today. I, I, like I said, I think one of those programs has to go get their Urban Meyer, and I don't know that James James Franklin might be that at Penn State long term if he stays. Um, it does not look like Jim Harbaugh is that at Michigan from what we've seen so far. But if you can go get that kind of you know, it, it's it's a tough hurdle but like you go get that like once in a generation coach and he can come in and and lift you to something you weren't before um although that that, i don't know is that even fair to say about urban meyer because he was really just extending what no i think it's success I, i think he lifted to a new level i think it's enough of a new level that i think your point is correct and i think i think that is the most interesting part of this discussion when you said that in the parking lot it made me really excited to talk about this the idea of another program in the Big Ten not just getting a good coach, but getting their Urban Meyer. And by that, I think what we all would mean, like, we'll ask you, when you say get your Urban Meyer, what does that mean to you? When you say the Urban Meyer of a modern-day college football program, what does I, that person bring? Well, Urban Meyer, in as much success as Ohio State has had and as much as they are a brand unto themselves, you know, one of those singular brands in college football – Urban Meyer was kind of bigger than Ohio State. I mean, he'd already won multiple national championships or been in multiple national championship situations before he ever got here. He'd already been kind of a big presence in college football before he ever got to Florida just for the success that he'd had at Utah and, and, and the things he was doing early in his career. So if you can get that kind of coach who – and I don't necessarily – I'm not saying they necessarily have to go f- – because it's going to be difficult for the, another Big Ten program to go hire somebody who's already like that and then get them to come to Ohio State. The circumstances were very um, kind of maybe once in a lifetime that where Urban Meyer ends up at Ohio Agreed. State. But I, you have to go get that person who then maybe – you have to go get the – you have to go get 
what Urban Meyer became at Florida, I guess, in some ways. The guy who is, is on the, the yes. cusp and then goes to Florida and then becomes just this brand unto himself because he has, has so much success that's undeniable. And then the point to me is like how many of those guys have we seen in college football in the last 25 years? I mean, and, and that's the hard part. And I'm, I'm pulling up some stuff now just off the top of my head. This feels like a, this feels like a series to me now, not like the beginning of a podcast. Because I think there's enough enough depth, depth to this. Maybe it's a summer series for us. And it's kind of along the lines of, uh, to some degree, what we did um, with the Indestructible series. Because obviously it's like, how do you, how do you lose it? Because it's two, two sides of the same coin. From the Ohio State perspective is, how do you ever lose it? Well, it's a bad coaching hire. And again, Adam and I get into this, and we'll, go, we'll get to that later in this podcast. And that's an obvious answer. You get the wrong guy, and right. the wrong guy can tear it down even at a great program because we've seen it a million times. Rich Rodriguez at Michigan, um, Charlie Strong at, at, at Texas. Um, we've just seen it a million times. Or sometimes even if – Mike even if you're not, at Alabama. And sometimes even if you're not tearing it down, we're talking about an Ohio State level of success. So winning nine games every year constitutes tearing it down, even though that's not some kind of across-the-board failure. And part of it, like when we did the Indestructible series, is like, you know, that was the deal with Earl Bruce. who was 9-3 and three Earl right. for nine years. Um, but that wasn't – it didn't fall off the earth. It right. just wasn't competing for national championships right. enough that people wanted. And then, like, Cooper got him back. Like, it wasn't – they didn't go south for a decade. The example is Nebraska, which was just a one of those prestige programs and has just never gotten it back since Osborne But left. But there are actually – and it's and it's also why I think it is a your point about Ryan Day. I'm like I don't know if Ohio State fans want to hear this, but you're not going to know for sure until three or four years from now. Because you look at Oregon, right. Chip Kelly left Oregon, Mark Helfrich got him to a national title game, right. but then with Chip's guys and Chip's structure, but then couldn't sustain it. Right. Pete Carroll comes in at USC. Paul Hackett, USC in the previous years had gone six and six, six and five, eight and five, six and six, five and seven. Those are the five years before Pete Carroll. Pete Carroll goes six and six his first year. Then the rest of his tenure, they finished fourth, first, first, second, fourth, third, third, and then 22nd his last year. But they were still ranked in the top five at one point. He did it like overnight. And then they tried to keep that going. How did they try to keep it going? They hired guys from his staff. Lane Kiffin was the USC version of Ryan Day. Yeah. And it bombed. Yeah. And then they try, like, like, you try Steve, Steve Sarkeesian, who was another guy who was in that mix after Lane Kiffin. Steve Sarkeesian bombs and does not work and, like, ends up leaving and gets fired in a year. Like, and now you're on to Clay Helton and he's okay, but he's not good enough. And now they want Urban Meyer. They couldn't sustain, they had their Urban Meyer, they couldn't sustain it. Miami had their Urban Meyer. Jimmy Johnson as a program builder. Right. Howard Schnellenberger laid a foundation for Miami, for sure. Jimmy Johnson took it to the next level. Jimmy Johnson finishes 18th in the country his first year, then finishes 9th, 2nd, 1st, 2nd, 1st. No, now we're to Dennis Johnson. 2nd, 1st, 2nd, his last three years. Dennis Erickson takes over, absolutely sustains it. Dennis Erickson finishes 1st, 3rd, 1st, 3rd, his first four years. Butch Davis comes in, kind of keeps it going. Larry Coker takes over, finishes, wins the national title in year one, finishes second in the nation, loses to Ohio State in the national title game in year two, finishes fifth in the nation in year three, and then loses it, and they haven't been back since. No. They lost it. They've lost it for more than a decade. They held on to the Jimmy Johnson stuff for a while. 
and then they couldn't hold on long enough. So on, on the one hand, the Ohio State side of this is you have to like maintain the Urban Meyer stuff, but then also go beyond that. And it feels like Ryan Day is on that path. But again, it's not a guarantee yet. But the other point, and I just think it was such a good point you made, that it's like James Franklin's good. Jim Harbaugh's done better than the guys before him. But are they Urban Meyer program resetters? Yep. Because you look at Penn State has already had theirs. Because here's the thing. Ohio State had Woody Hayes. They already had their Woody Hayes. They didn't need someone to create Ohio State football. But Urban Meyer still did something where he set a new structure. Penn State has had Joe Paterno. They don't need someone to create Penn State football. But is James Franklin doing things that resets Penn State football? Florida State, Bobby Bowden since the end, they've been trying to do that. Jimbo did it. Jimbo got a national title. Now they're trying to do it again. They couldn't keep Jimbo. They wanted That didn't work out long term. Texas, you see it. And here's now here's my big point I want to get to this. It's your point, and I, I like it so much. I want to keep talking about it. Here's what I think that is the unique situation here. But it's also – it does apply to USC. It's very similar to USC, and USC just kicked it. As soon as Pete left, they screwed it up, and they really screwed themselves. Penn State, when you had Joe Paterno, he was there for so long, by the end, it was tailing off. Yeah, as it Bobby will, Bowden, but that was yeah. – it, it tailed off. Urban left at the peak. Yeah. Urban left it in such good shape there was no tail off so that if someone would have taken over for Joe Paterno at his peak, mm-hmm. then you can keep it going. You take over for Bobby Bowden at their peak, you can keep it going. They took over for Pete Carroll at his peak and they still screwed it up. But maybe that's why this window wasn't as cracked as we thought it was because – you, you, Urban Meyer wasn't tailing off. It was still everything was functioning at a high level, and you stepped into that. Since you've got sports reference up, you should also look and see what Florida was doing right before Urban took over. I think that's important context here. Shout out to the Foreman family for their work with uh, sports you know reference. These people? Uh, Chris Foreman is the Purdue basketball SID. Sorry, I should have spoiler. I should have given people a trigger warning on a Purdue mention. The Purdue basketball SID. His brother Sean Foreman is the guy who started BaseballReference.com slash all of the really? sports references. Have you written yeah. a story about them? I have not. No. You blew it. I know, How long did you cover Purdue? You were there for ten years. <laughs> I was there for a while. It wasn't. It wasn't super relevant to local readers, but people have written plenty about Sean Foreman. He's. Um, so but anyway, but at Florida, Steve Spurrier. Took over a program that wasn't getting it done, got it going, won a national title, was really good. Ron Zook couldn't keep that going, and then Urban took it to a new level, and then they couldn't keep it going. So Urban did take it to a new level. It's funny, looking back at this now, Urban got a lot of crap from people for leaving Florida in bad – man, there's like nine stories here. Why are we talking about this stuff? I've got to run. <laughs> Urban got a lot of crap for leaving Florida in bad shape. When actually, that's the norm. It's the norm right. when a great coach leaves for things to kind of head right. south a little bit. And so this currently is the exception to rule. Man, this really wants me, makes me want to compare what happened to Florida after Urban left compared to what happened, what's happening in Ohio State after Urban left. Because the year after Urban left Florida, Will Muschamp went 7-6. and six. Then he went eleven and two. Then he went four and eight and got fired. Compare that. Ryan Day already has more wins in the year after Urban than Will Muschamp did. Right, and we still have four weeks left. And well, but but also we need to remember exactly what kind of level of excellence we're talking about here. I mean, you 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 ran through Miami 
and you basically ran through like a generation of really high-level winning football that passed through two and a half to three coaches before, oh, and then they lost it and couldn't sustain it. I mean, but for a long time, Miami was one of the top five programs in college football. No-brainer. Like you just and, – and Florida State, Bobby Bowden, for a long time, just one of the great teams in college football. So I, the thing about Ohio State, that, as we've already said, is kind of that they churn it over year after year after year. So so this 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 idea of who could do that else in the Big Ten – does it need to come in some ways? Would it have to come from the West? Because you would assure, no. assure yourselves of not having to play Penn or Ohio State every year, and then once in a while would get lucky to not even have to play them in the Big Ten Championship game. I mean, I think the hard thing about that is is that there's so many advantages to the East just in terms of population and recruiting bases. Right. That because, because and it's, again, it goes back to what I wrote last week. If Wisconsin could do that, why haven't they done it? Because can't. you can't – because there's only – there's maybe only one program in the country, in the Big Ten, I should say, that can convince 15 of the top 100 kids in the country every year, in, in, especially ones who are coming from Texas and Alabama and Georgia and places like that, to come to play in the Midwest. But part of the thing, and it's part of what you wrote, is Barry – Alvarez was this for Wisconsin. Mm-hmm. He was a program changer for but Wisconsin. But never won They'd a national before. championship. But, but still, I, well, we can look it up. Never. I, I don't know that and, – and we've gone – you know, Ralph Russo from the AP is, is very big on this, and I think he's really smart about it. Um, the idea that the only teams that are ever going to win national championships in college football – I think he said the on this podcast. Won teams that have already won it. Yeah. So it's like the, the, the standard for Wisconsin can't just be – But didn't Clemson kind of just – Break that mold a little bit. Like, yeah, they're like the one, but they also actually had one, one was, before. Danny Ford won one before. They had never won. They had won one. Yeah, but um, they weren't like a presence. They weren't like Alabama. I mean, no. right? Um, but Barry Alvarez changed the game enough. I feel like what Brett Bielema and then Gary Anderson didn't really do it, which is why he left. And then Paul Chris. What they are doing is they are continuing the Alvarez. They are maintaining the Alvarez. Mm-hmm. They are not taking it to the next. Right. level. And so the idea that what was their best regular season finish under in the AP poll under fourth? Uh they finished fourth, yeah. So again, just a generation of sustained success but that had a plateau. A high plateau, but not the kind of success that we're talking about. Wisconsin-wise. Yes. Well, but no, yes. but within who they are, he's still elevated. I think the question is you're co- you bring in a coach who elevates what you are, and but sets things in place that allows it to be maintained, right? Um, and that's what Urban has done here, and that's what Pete Carroll did. But again, they, they couldn't maintain it. I guess it's really that you elevate it, but it's not just with your coaching. Is that you get everything. It's not just you're a great coach. You're a program builder. That's the word. You've got to find a program builder. And I think their question is at the moment. So again, why would how would Ohio State lose it? It's It's if... Ryan Day can maintain the urban thing for a while, but isn't really a program builder himself, which I think most people would argue like, I think he will be. I mean, it's, he's right. checking all the boxes, as right. we've covered it many times in this podcast. But the, but the question for the other people, how do you get there is, is James Franklin that? Harbaugh like, has saved them in a lot of ways, but he doesn't feel like that because everybody's saying they don't doesn't feel like they have an identity. They don't have a culture. They don't have a toughness there. They feel fragile. They're playing better lately. 
But I think you would question that. Is Scott Frost going to be that? I, again, when we were at Nebraska, people were walking around wearing shirts that said Devaney, Osborne, a bunch of guys, Frost. That means they expect Scott Frost to be not just a good coach, but someone who resets the program, harkens it back to the Osborne era maybe, right. but resets what they are in every aspect of a program. They sure as heck are not doing that right now. Is P.J. Fleck going to do that? Is this a flash in the pan, nice 8 no start, whatever? Or is P.J. Fleck going to change Minnesota football? And 10 years from now, you're going to look and say, my God, Minnesota is a top 25 program every year. You know it. We know what Minnesota football is. That's a different question. But but not many guys do that. Right. Even getting to that level, which is still not even the question we're asking, which is who goes up and challenges Ohio State, which is a top 10 program every year. So being a top twenty-five program year in and year out is is, is, is an achievement, but it's not that hard. Yeah, it's, it's Wisconsin, 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 it's Iowa, it's um, you know whoever. That's it. Penn basically. State, Michigan, yeah. like those teams are they, they flirt with something better than that. But they're, you can count on them year in and year out to be one of the twenty-five best teams in the country. But you're not. Nobody else is getting up there and challenging at that Ohio State level. And I I, I do think it's worth asking, like if somebody could ever do that. And I, I think like what you say, like what you're saying, it's going to have to be someone who comes in. Now, what is interesting, I think though. Is could is is the next Michigan coach? Could they potentially do that? Is Harbaugh giving them enough of a foundation of at least success that the next person can come in that doesn't have to rebuild, doesn't have to pull them out of a crater, can just make a lift? Yeah, it turns out that Harbaugh was not the answer, but he was a bridge. Right. That would be very interesting, and it's like it had to get their boat. Like you thought, and that's the thing. It's like. Um, you thought Harbaugh was going to be Bo because he was bred in that. His dad coached for Bo. He played for Bo. He understood Bo intimately. But Bo, when he got hired at Michigan, was nobody. He was a former Ohio State assistant and the Miami of Ohio head coach. He wasn't Bo Schembechler when he got hired. He became Bo Schembechler because of what he built and sustained there. So actually, to say that Harbaugh was Bo, Harbaugh was completely different than Bo. Harbaugh had been to a Super Bowl already when he got here. So if they're going to find a new Bo, then it, it might be Matt Campbell. It might be a guy who's like doing a good job at a lower tier program. But then when he gets here, at, when he gets to Ann Arbor, he's not just a good coach, but he is a program resetter. But it just turns out Dabo's a program resetter. You know, Saban obviously was a program resetter, but there was a lot going on in Alabama. He just sort of had to figure out what already had existed there. Uh, what's the same true to Ohio State? Woody was always Woody was already Woody. Bear Bryant was already where Bear Bryant. The, the formula was there, but a lot of people had tried to cook with that formula and failed. Um, but that that to me, it makes it feel more daunting for the other teams to me, rather than just being like, because I think what those other teams would have been assuming previously was a step back from Ohio State. That, okay, this is going to be, if this is a Lane Kiffin situation, the teams in the Pac-12 didn't get better. USC just fell apart. Yeah. So that's the formula that I think... Well, teams, Oregon did get better, too. But they also, they in a little window. Yeah. And then that was very specific as well. Yeah. So the idea of, let's wait for Ohio State to fall back. And it feels like maybe that's not going to happen. And again, we've talked about Ryan Day's future on here. Whether it's for five years, 10 years, or 20 years, it feels like they're in good hands. So now the only answer is find your Urban Meyer. Not just a good coach, but find your Urban Meyer. And the issue is, like, 
James Franklin's name gets thrown out like for the USC job. You know, like he's done a good job, but is he is he that? That is the question, I think, because nobody doubts anymore. Again, when, they, when Ohio State went there in 2016, James Franklin was on the edge of the hot seat. On the edge of, I don't know if this is the guy. And then they beat Ohio State in 2016. And it launches them into what they are now, which is really good. Yeah. But is he that? Is he just a really good coach? Or is he resetting what Penn State football is? I don't know that I have the answer to that question. I don't know enough about it. But it feels like maybe he's a step shy of that right now. Because, boy, he's played Ohio State tough. Man, this is a defining year for him. I mean, if, Ohio, if Penn State makes the playoff this year, and 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 again, Adam and I are going to talk about this. You relied on Saquon Barkley. You relied on Trace McSorley, and now that's a part of this too. You can't just win with a certain group of players. You got to right. win with the right. next group of players. Right. If Penn State beats Ohio State, makes the playoff this year, then I think maybe that's proof that James Franklin is that. If they just lose to Ohio State and have a good year and go eleven and two, then I maybe they're not. Not that you have to beat Ohio State every year. But can you prove that there are permanent things in place that allow you to compete with them? Yeah, and I think it's interesting too. It has to be. It can't. It can't just be a couple of players, and it also can't just be a gimmick system or a a specific. I'll give you an example again. Trigger warning. But when Purdue had to hire a head coach a couple of years ago, all the, the conventional wisdom when you would go talk to people around the country was, well, they need to go find an offensive mind. They need to find somebody who has a maybe a wrinkle. They were comparing. They need to go find their next Joe Tiller so that they can win eight games a year. And I think that probably is the approach that a, a program at that level has to go to go to do that. But if you want to win national championships, you have to be great on both sides of the ball. It has to be something more than just a, um, you know, you're the only team that runs the option in the Big Ten. You're the only team that runs a 5-2 defense or whatever. Like, it has to be something more. Um, it has to be a, a greater balance. And that's one of the things that I think, you know, Ryan Day comes in as this offensive mind, maybe his biggest credential coming into the season, other than I guess people thought that he also had some intangibles because he'd been given that responsibility last year and everything. But, you know, and now Ohio State is better on both sides of the ball, especially on defense, than it was last year. And partly, partially it's because of the players that were already here getting better, but partially it was because he addressed he went and found the minds that could make them that good on that side of the ball too. And I think that's it's a program-wide approach to being great on both sides of the ball. And a lot of teams, a lot of programs just don't have the recruiting capacity to do that. Man, I feel like there, there's, there's just a lot here. We'll get off of it because I think we've covered the basics. It really makes me reset. I think a lot of people saw the... Urban Meyer leaving as a reset for Jim Harbaugh. Yeah. When actually, I think it's maybe a bigger reset for James Franklin. You know, just that because because Harbaugh is Harbaugh, right? Like, there's no, but you're still trying to figure out what James Franklin is. You know, it's like Bill O'Brien was that bridge between Paterno and Franklin, but he was never going to be a long-term guy there. You're trying to say also Penn State, Michigan. Penn State's success against Ohio State is not looked at in the same way as Michigan's success or lack thereof against Ohio State. If Penn State loses to Ohio State right now in a given year, they still get to say, oh, well, we went 11-1 and had a great right. year. Oh, shucks. But, like, if Michigan loses to Ohio State, it's seen as a big downfall. Right. And, and, and vice versa. And that's always going to be the case. But it really would be interesting if Penn State, again, started sort of like beating Ohio State every other year. Mm-hmm. Um, 
And all of a sudden, and just and again, it's not about the, it's not about the best team. There's always a great distinction between best team and best program. Those are two different things. And even though Ohio State hasn't been the Big Ten champion every year. They haven't always been the best team necessarily every single year. Right. They have absolutely been the best program in the Big Ten since 2002. There's no question about it. The thing we're trying to quantify here is an unquantifiable, unquantifiable thing, which is just – it just kind of came to me – is just sort of a mystique. Like Penn State used to have that mystique they back did. in the 80s when I was growing up. Penn State, Joe Paterno, there was a mystique about that program. There was always a mystique about Notre Dame. There's definitely a mystique right now about Alabama and Clemson, I would argue, and probably about Ohio State, too. I think you can probably put them in that 100%, same. 100%. Absolutely. There is not yet a mystique about LSU or I would even say Oklahoma, even though as much success as they've had recently. There is still a tear down from that. But that's what differentiates. When you get to that level where people around college football say your name and they say it in a different way than they said it in any other Context. Then they do. Then they talk about the average team, even the other great teams in college football. That's what you're looking for, and that is it's really, really, really elusive. But in each of those cases that I just talked about, you can go find a special personality as that head coach that made that difference. Right, and it's and it's it's funny. Even though Urban's only here eight years, like you, you saw that. Um, you saw it with Joe Paterno. I, I, I remember you saw it with Jimmy Johnson. That eight, in 86, when Miami and Penn State – I grew up in Pennsylvania. You guys know that. Um, when Miami and Penn State played for the national title in 86, right. and it was like um, the Canes being the Canes and like Penn State wearing like we don't put our names on our uniforms. And it was like the flashy guys versus the – like yeah. that was quite a thing. You knew exactly what that was about. And I mean USC had it for a little bit yeah. here recently in a way that Texas didn't, I would argue. Even though Texas was great for that that little window to even beat them in the national championship game, whatever. I mean that, but they didn't have that mystique, right? And and Oklahoma might be getting there with this. The way they're, they're they're on the verge. Lincoln yeah. Riley runs offense, so I don't yeah. know. There's a lot of like ethereal stuff in there. I think it's something to think about, but I just don't know. Um, and I guess I don't know if, if there's luck involved or not, but it's like I said, I've said a million times I thought there was a chance for a dark cloud to be over Ohio State after the Trestle stuff, and then Urban Meyer fell out of the sky and saved him for seven years. Right. And now, but like Ryan Day didn't fall out of the sky. You know, like that was, I feel like Ohio State got lucky that a two time national championship head coach happened to be unemployed for a year and wanted to come coach here. Um, that wasn't this because Ryan Day wasn't anything. Ryan Day was the failed, fired coach, the quarterbacks coach of the San Fran two and fourteen San Francisco 49ers. and that's not an insult to him. I mean, if you're the quarterbacks coach of a two and fourteen team, you're not a hot property, brother. No. He knows that. And they brought him in, and then they kept him. And so that this is a very different thing that I feel like there was some luck involved with flipping it when Urban got here. This was not luck. This was a plan. And if they maintain it, I do see how it would be very depressing um, for the rest of the Big Ten because this guy is 40. This guy is 40. And if it turns out he's that good, you're looking – you could be looking another 15 years of this. Yeah, I don't know if depressing is the right word though because, again, it's just – it's been a constant through the but generations. But this, op- this was the opening. They you, had a, how, you had an all-time great head coach who retired for health reasons. Yeah. This is your opening. Again, though, he – okay, he retired for health reasons, but none of his players retired. No, I know. And, and he's, again, he's even still around. That's, I mean, let's see where we are in three years. Right. So it's, it does appear that it's trending in, in a Ohio State positive direction. It's something to revisit a couple of years and see if, if, we're, if we're looking at those, those lists but, the same way. But 
there could have been things happening this year that right. would have said to you, okay, like right. there's an opening. You know, like he's good, but he's not a world beater. But like Ryan has done, right. as we said, like everything right. And also none of those coaches, the ones that you're talking about, that didn't necessarily make the transition from one team to the next. I bet they all didn't have Justin Fields transfer in. A Justin Fields right. equivalent player transfer in. That, that, that needs to be remembered too. All right, let's get to the interview with Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Then we'll be back with your text questions on Buckeye Talk. Happy to be joined on Buckeye Talk by one of the greatest college football writers in the country, my friend and yours, Adam Rittenberg of ESPN.com. Adam, how long have you been writing for ESPN.com now? Well, it's great to be with you, Doug, and that introduction is uh, quite flattering. I have been with ESPN since 2008, so I guess I'm a survivor in some ways. 11 seasons, I guess 12 seasons. Uh, no, 11 seasons. Uh, so, uh, yeah, it's been it's been quite a ride. And, uh, yeah, it, it's, it's changed a lot over the years. But, um, you know, it's, it's obviously very grateful to still be uh, doing what, 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 what the things that we're doing right now. Uh, Adam, you have survived because you are excellent at your job. Although, to be fair, there are also people who are excellent at their job all over the place who have not survived. So guys like you and I are, know that we're lucky to be able to do what we do. Uh, I do want to ask, and I want to make sure everybody knows, you are a national college football writer now. A lot of Ohio State fans may remember you from back when you were a, a Big Ten writer. The Big Ten blog that you and then Brian Bennett and, and people contributed to was one of like the great sort of like early college football things on the internet. Do you ever miss the Big Ten blog? Do you ever miss it? You guys were so on top of everything back in those days. Yeah, in some ways I really do, Doug. I, I, in many ways I miss the interaction with um, the readers. You know, we, we don't have that as much in this role, I mean, other than on social media. But with the blog, it was so much in your face every day. And we really encouraged the kind of actual feedback and, and what, what do you think and taking – you know, questions and mailbags and things of that nature. And so, yeah, I, I definitely miss, you know, having a real knowledge of something to, to that level of expertise. And it's harder to do nationally. You try to read a lot, but it, you also have to pay attention to other conferences and coaches and commissioners. Um, but, I, yeah, there's a lot I do miss about that. I don't miss the actual workload because it was just not sustainable the way we were doing it probably. But I, uh, I, there, there are elements and just – just knowing, uh, you know, everybody and everything about a league, or at least trying to, was something that I enjoyed. If there is that point, Adam, where it's like sometimes you look back and you say, my gosh, how did we write so much every day yeah. for so long? I, I feel that sometimes with the when we first started at Cleveland.com, and you're right, it's like, man, sometimes I think, wouldn't it be great to go back and do something like that? But you can't do it for 15 years that hard. Um, that much. And, and yeah, your fingers would have fallen off your body if you were still doing that every single day. Um, here's the thing. So now that we know you have, everybody knows you have this Big Ten background, you have this expertise about Ohio State and the Big Ten, but you also have the expertise about the whole country. As you sit here right now, what is the context you can provide on how good you think the Big Ten is? And I guess I mean right now, because that's what matters the most with Ohio State and Penn State and Michigan and Wisconsin and Minnesota. But I think also maybe like in the past couple years, how good do you think the Big Ten is compared to the rest of college football? I think it's pretty good, and it's been pretty good for a while. I, I'm always hesitant to, like, jump into this conversation because I think there's, like, two prongs to it. There's how good is the league and then how well is the league positioned for the playoff. And sometimes those are different conversations. And I think this year 
um, you know, and this is probably more unique than other years, I think the answer is you're positive on both fronts, that it's a, a really good league, and it's also really uh, well positioned for the playoff right now with three undefeated teams going into the month of November. Um, that's about as, as, as strong as you, you can have it. You know, obviously Wisconsin falling off a little bit the last couple of weeks, but, you know, Minnesota's been a shock, and, and we'll just see how good they are going forward. But the, the real strength is certainly Ohio State, and Penn State, Michigan has improved here a little bit. Uh, recently, Iowa, I've seen them play. They're, they're still a solid team. And, you know, it also has – it's a league with tiers. I mean, you know, the, the bottom tier is very clearly defined with Maryland and Rutgers and Purdue and Northwestern in the West. Illinois has improved this year. Nebraska has been a big disappointment in my mind. But overall, I think, you know, compared to – it's amazing. When, when I stopped on the Big Ten blog, sort of when the league started to play better – You had Ohio State winning the national championship in 2014, and then you just had more competitive seasons, like in the bowl. I I used to just, you know, it's not that your whole worth is tied to how a league performs, but I used to dread the bowl season because you just knew the Big Ten was going to get its teeth kicked in because it had almost every year, like the way the the bowls alignments were set up and. Uh, oftentimes the, the Big Ten team was playing up in a sense and playing a team that it shouldn't really be matched up with, and the results sort of played out that way. Um, but if you look at the last uh, you know four or five years, there's been much better performance by the Big Ten in bowl in bowl games. And while the national championship hasn't come the you know since 2014, it just feels like the Big Ten's in much better position to compete for one. And this year, you know, certainly not no, no exception with with uh, with those three teams, especially Ohio State and Penn State in the top five when you look at um and obviously a guy like me doesn't have the context nationally it it feels to me like there is that top tier nationally right now that probably is alabama lsu clemson ohio state that's not news to anybody but do you agree with that that there those four especially with the georgia and oklahoma losses are they a little bit separate or and or how close is penn state to the top tier. I, I, I guess they certainly would be yeah. in whatever next tier there is. Are they close to being in that top tier? There's two SEC teams right now up there with Alabama and LSU. How cl- Is Penn State almost in that discussion, do you think? Yeah, I think almost is the key. I mean, that, they've been kind of the almost program the last few years, especially in the context of you know, beating Ohio State, one-point losses, almost winning the Big Ten, um, and almost being in the college football playoff. Uh, so we'll find out. You know, I, I, I think their defense is worthy of being in that top-four conversation. I think their defense is honestly better than Alabama's and you know, maybe better than LSU's. I just don't know if I can trust their offense to, to be as good as those top four, um, at least have the potential to be as good. We know what LSU can do. We know what uh, uh, Alabama can do with a healthy Tua. We know what Ohio State has done all season, pretty much on offense. And then Clemson, when you know quarterback Trevor Lawrence is rolling, you know, they're almost unstoppable offensively. Penn State has been a little bit feast or famine. Like anyone who watched the Michigan game could see that. They were really good in the first half. They were making some big plays. And then the second half, Michigan pretty much shut them down. And that's happened a few too many times, Doug, for me to be, like, fully on board. I think that Sean Clifford's a really good player. And, you know, he's a first-year starter who seems to be gaining confidence, seems to be a really smart kid and popular and a really good leader following a record-setting player in Trace McSorley. You know, K.J. Hamler's terrific. And Noah Kane's emerged as a really good running back for them. But I just don't know if I trust them against one of those other teams to score enough. I mean, they barely scored enough to beat Iowa. 
They didn't score a ton against Pitt. Um, you know, this past week they, they were able to put up a decent total against a, a good Michigan State defense on the road. I'm very interested to see how they perform offensively against Minnesota, which is much improved on defense uh, even after uh, you know they made their coordinator change last year. So I, I I don't think so. I guess they're they're almost there is my answer. But if the offense continues to evolve and improve by the end of this, or certainly by the Ohio State game, that that answer could could change because they're going to have to score. I mean, it's very clear now with Ohio State that I don't know if any defense can completely shut them down for an entire game. So can Penn State score 24, 27, or 30 um, against a really good defense on the road and, and be a little bit more consistent offensively? I don't know that. Adam, when we look at Ohio State, I want to start delving into that with you. To, to me, coming into this season, um, I mean, I always thought the big deal for Ohio State is being in the playoff conversation all the way through the year, that sometimes yeah. you don't always make it, but every week can the fans be watching the rankings coming out, and are you right there in the mix, and, and do Ohio State fans get to be part of that conversation all year long? And for all five years of the playoff era, you know, they've been able to do that. They actually were out of the conversation the most in the first year when they actually ended up making it, winning it. But when did you think, I, I guess I thought coming into this year, I would have said there's five top programs in college football. It's Clemson and Alabama, obviously, and then Georgia, Oklahoma, Ohio State right there. Where right. did you, did you think Ohio State remained in that top tier? Or did you think in the last couple of years, the fact that they got shut out in 2016 in the playoff, didn't make it in 17 and 18. From your national view of things, had Ohio State taken a step back at all in terms of their national standing? You know, it's interesting. I, 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 I agree. Like on, on uh, every year you kind of look at them as, of course, they have a chance to compete for the playoff. They always have, you know, some of the most talent in the country. They always have some of the best coaching in the country. But you're know, leaving Ohio Stadium on Saturday after watching the Wisconsin win. I kept thinking to myself, like, like this was an Ohio State team that, in, in some ways, was the most vulnerable that I can remember since 2011 going into the year. Just objectively, you know, n- new coach that people don't know a whole lot about. Yeah, he stepped in, uh, you know, as as the you know interim last year and has done a nice job with the quarterbacks. But he'd never been on this stage. And Ryan Day, you had a quarterback in Justin Fields who people had major questions about, in spite of the talent. You know, the, the reports out of Georgia was that he, he was an interception machine. That's a vulnerability. You look at the defense, and they were vulnerable the entire season pretty much last year, not playing anywhere near to their talent level. And so, so he looked like a really vulnerable team. But, yes, always in the back of your mind, you think Ohio State can compete at this level. You just didn't know it was going to come together the way it has. I mean, not just are they competing, but there's a feeling that this may be the best Ohio State team in quite some time. Certainly looks like better than last year's team, looks a lot better than the 2016 team. You know, are, are, are they maybe as talented or more talented than the 2015 team that we all believe should have made the playoff or the 2014 team that won the national title? I mean, that's, that's where we're at here. So, you know, I, I, you know, all those vulnerability questions going into the season for me have pretty much gone away. But, you know, I'm never going to go into a season counting out Ohio State from being in the playoff conversation because there's too much in the program uh, to screw up as far as talent uh, to, to not be at least having a chance to compete for that. Now, they, they have screwed it up in the past. I thought they screwed it up for much of last season. I think we could certainly debate the end of Urban Meyer's tenure and whether there was some underachievement going on there. But it's always the ingredients are always there for this to happen, I guess. 
So as someone, and I, I, I like having people like you on because you're an expert on Ohio State, but yet you're not here every day. And sometimes when guys like me are here every day and on any beat, this happens. Sometimes it's hard to see the forest through the trees and the idea of like, all right, well, like we know they're good. We're here every day. You were here in Ohio Stadium for the Ohio State-Wisconsin game. You've been watching Ohio State all year. You've also been watching all these other teams. What is the biggest difference to you when you try to compare, all right, the way they are playing right now, what, how, how things feel around this team? What do you think is the biggest difference from last year or a couple of years ago? When, of course, they've been successful, but did you, did you feel or see any major differences? Yeah, I, and again, you probably sense this more, but I've, I've been around them now for three games, and there's there's a decidedly different mood. And I noticed it at Nebraska the first time I saw them. There's just a steadiness about their uh, performance. There's no drama around this team, and, and and there was a lot of it last year. And I, you know, they're they're it's not as though they're not focused. They're they're still very focused. And I, I love hearing some of the things that Chase Young has said about the playoff and how you know not being part of the playoff has really bothered him and how he's you know, not taking any game lightly because of the games that have kept them out of the playoffs. So it's not as though they're they're not intense enough or they're not focused enough. But I think that Urban Meyer, as great as his intensity can be, and it affects every portion, every corner of the program, and often to their benefit, it can also be to the team's detriment. I think last year you could argue that, uh, you know, some of the issues around the program and that Urban – either brought in or, or didn't prevent or, or had some role in, you know, ended up hurting their chances to, to achieve to their potential because nobody that watched Ohio state last year and saw who they had recruited and who was on the field and who was in key roles for them felt like they were, uh, you know, a team that was close to maxing out, especially on defense. They were nowhere near that. I think other than Dwayne Haskins, who really maxed out on Ohio state's team last year. So it looked so odd just to see them week to week, you know, struggle in certain areas, uh, you know, you, the, 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 the big plays allowed on defense, you're not being able to consistently run the ball. So th- th- this year's team just feels like they're, they're maxing out at most positions and certainly with some units, but there's also a, a calmness, a business-like approach to, to each game w- without losing focus and having the right type of intensity to succeed. I think maybe like Paris Campbell and KJ Hill connected to Dwayne in that passing passing game did, but certainly the run yeah. game didn't max out. The defense didn't max out. I think your your point obviously stands. They were very, very good at kind of a very specific thing last year, but but across the board, you could see where there was sort of like the underachievement um, in other areas. I asked, I asked, I've been asking people this who know again the national scene. How what do you think of Ryan Day? You have seen coaches step in. You have seen what it takes to be a successful coach. You've seen guys fail. You know what it, how difficult it can be at big-time programs. You also know that you're set up for success in a lot of ways in big-time programs. Kind of, if, I think if you can stay out of your own way. What's your vibe on how good Ryan Day is at this and what kind of job he's doing through eight games? I think he's done a fantastic job. Um, you know, I, I didn't know how good he would be at this. I thought he would be good. I, I certainly, you know, I gotten to spend a little time around him, and I like his demeanor. I like his pedigree, the fact that, he, you know, the coaches that he spent time around. And I think he's been really good about not changing who he is after who he's followed and, and the type of program that he's leading. Um, that's always important coaches always say that that the kids will recognize if you're being fake or you're being different or you're being over the top 
you know, so who I think who he was when he arrived, which was a fairly anonymous assistant paired with Kevin Wilson to fix an offense that was kind of broken after the 2016 season. Um, I don't think he's changed that too much. Now, obviously, he's had to evolve into, you know, macro leadership things. But, you know, again, he's been around Chip Kelly. He's been around Urban. He's been around, um, you know, some some other coaches. Uh, you know, he, he hasn't been at a college program nearly of this caliber, but I think the NFL experience, even in the struggles that, that they had uh, at that level has helped him with, with very talented players and how to manage those guys. Um, so, yeah, I, I really can't say, I mean, we're, we're obviously going to find out in the coming years, you know, how, how great Ryan day will be because he'll have to you know make more of the, you know, evaluation decisions and how the recruiting is done, but they seem to have really good momentum there. I think his staffing decisions, have been phenomenal early on. I mean, the, the, the addition of Jeff Halfley, and you wrote about this last week, and I was thinking about this, and I'm glad you wrote it, is that, you know, Jeff Halfley feels like a defensive version of Ryan Day. You know, yeah. who, who knew Jeff Halfley in college football coming into last year? Who knew Ryan Day, other than the Boston College folks maybe in college football, when he arrived at Ohio State? And look at the impact that Ryan made as an assistant, you know, early in his career. And now look at the impact that Jeff, along with Greg Madison, who's obviously a known name and, and very respected, and Al Washington, who, who was a really good hire for the linebackers, look at what they've done to with essentially the same players. They're a completely different-looking defense on a consistent basis. So yeah, I think you have to judge coaches oftentimes by how, you know, after, how, the things that they have to evaluate in the program and, and what they need to improve and how they go about improving them. There were clearly issues on the staff last year, and he's addressed those in a really positive way. So that's a very encouraging sign if you're an Ohio State fan. I want to back into another question here by sort of going to a wide view again. And that's, I, I want to throw this out there because I just get fired up about this because I'm a jerk. Like, were you surprised by anything that happened on Saturday with Ohio State and Wisconsin? Like, all credit to Wisconsin. They maximize who they are. They are now 1-10 in 10 in their last 11 games against Ohio State. And when people, when some people start, like, throwing Wisconsin around, like, in the discussion, like, on the same level as Ohio State, it makes me feel like a homer when I say, like, God, it's just not the same thing. Why are we pretending that Wisconsin is at this level? They are a level below it makes me feel like I'm wearing scarlet and gray glasses, but it's also just clear to me, like Wisconsin can't be that. They're a good challenger, all credit to them for what they're doing in the West, but they are a step below Ohio State and I think always will be. I was not surprised by what, by what happened on Saturday, but I kind of have a, like a stick up my butt about Wisconsin. So tell me no, where I'm no, wrong I, there or where I'm right. No, I think you're right on a lot of levels. I mean, they're never going to recruit at Ohio State's level. Um, so they need to catch Ohio State at the right time. They need to catch them at home. I, I really think that some of those, you know, the, the one in 10 stats should be more balanced if Wisconsin had taken care of business uh, on its home field. Was it the 2012 game with Urban's first year when they went up there and, and, they, and Ohio State won in overtime? Was, is that the right year or is that 2013? I can't uh, remember which year. That's, yeah, they punched, like Ryan Shazier punched the ball out for Monty Ball. I think that was 2012. And then they had a double overtime game in 2016, too, yeah. in Wisconsin. Like, you got to win those games. Yeah, like, 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 those are winnable games, right? Like, and Wisconsin's got to win them. I mean, you know, like Ohio State got blew, blown out the last two years against Purdue and Iowa. So that, that could easily have been Wisconsin. Um, and, and, and that record should be better. But it does seem like when both teams come into it, uh, you know, playing well and, and near their near their uh, maximum ability, 
Ohio, it's going to be very difficult for Wisconsin to ever beat Ohio State, uh, especially in, in Columbus. So, yeah, I, I was a little surprised at the final margin, um, but you know, having seen them the week before against Illinois and some of the issues that had surfaced against Illinois, you know, uh, uh, resurfacing against Ohio State, like the inability to run the ball on first down on a consistent basis, that was alarming to me. Um, and I just knew as good as their defense uh, is, and they played, I thought they played pretty well for most of the game in Columbus. It's just very hard to hold up when your offense isn't staying on the field for sustained drives. And, and that was what, what kind of caught them uh, against the Buckeyes. And so, yeah, I mean, listen, they, they should have more wins in that stretch that you mentioned, but maybe two more wins and at the most three more wins. You know, again, most teams in this conference, other than, you know, Michigan and maybe Penn State uh, that, that are, and, and Michigan State sometimes that can recruit on that level are going to have their problems against Ohio State, you know, when, when Ohio State is, is, is playing well. So, yeah, it, it's not a huge shock to me, but um, I do think Wisconsin's a program that is starting to make some small upgrades in recruiting. Ultimately, they need to get better at quarterback. And I think if once they get uh, a little better at quarterback, if that's possible, then the conversation with Ohio State might change a little bit. But talent-wise, it's going to be hard for them to ever uh, really match up with the Buckeyes. And that might be with Graham Mertz, the freshman who's there now. And I'm yeah. curious to see how much he changes the game there. And that I even maybe I thought there was a world not knowing Wisconsin, like would Graham Mertz beat Cone out by the middle of this season or whatever. And I'll be curious to see if they go to him next year. Cause I, I, I that's a great point by you that we've seen what a difference Justin Fields has made, you know, that when you upgrade even from JT Barrett, who's very good, but then you go up to like NFL type guys with Dwayne Haskins and Justin Fields, it just upgrades it. Wisconsin, if they get that up, upgrade would be very different let's go big picture again with all the Harbaugh stuff with what James Franklin has done with I think what a lot of people see as a possible coaching change coming sooner than later at Michigan State with Mark D'Antonio getting to the point where that might be time for that era to end what program you mentioned Wisconsin or Nebraska's disappointing season this year what program should be Ohio State's greatest challenger consistently in the Big Ten, who should be the second best program in the Big Ten? Yeah, I mean, I, I and this may surprise people, but I think it's the program that has been, and that's Penn State. I, I just think Penn State is positioned to recruit at a, a level that, that that should challenge Ohio State more often than even Michigan, and and, and it has. I mean, you know, since I started covering the league, uh, it, Penn State's clearly been the second best program. It's not even a well, like, honestly, it's probably a debate more between Penn State and Wisconsin. Yeah. Wisconsin had that run of three straight championships, but it's definitely not Michigan. And I think Michigan has some inherent obstacles that um, I, I, I don't know if they're ever going to be able to consistently challenge Ohio State. Um, you know, maybe, maybe, maybe Jim Harbaugh will. I, 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 you know, maybe the next coach will. But I, I think because of where Penn State is and, and the way that they've been able to recruit under James Franklin and his staff. And I presume that could continue under whoever the next coach is. If, if James ends up going to USC or, or, or wherever, you know, his next stop is, I, I just think that that's a program that, you know, we've seen it now over an extended period that, uh, you know, they can beat Ohio state or be right there with Ohio state more often than anybody in the league. You mentioned Wisconsin struggles, you know, Michigan state had a, a run where they were a problem for Ohio state, but they've fallen off. Michigan hasn't challenged Ohio State for quite some time, uh, you know, in many of those games. And so, you know, that, 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 that's certainly an underachieving program right now. But I, I don't even know if they're 
achieving uh, you know closer to their maximum ability if they're um, in, the, in necessarily the best position to beat Ohio State. I, I, I just think Penn State, you look at the number of NFL players they have, you look at the recruiting uh, success, and they had a top five class a couple of years ago, and the, the development. You know, Penn State was a program this year, Doug, you know, you looked at the offseason, lost a lot of players to the transfer portal, lost a, a decent chunk of players to the NFL draft, and they're better. Like, that right. shows you that, you know, they're younger, but they're better. They're, they're, they're recruiting better, and they're developing better. And so, you know, that's, uh, you know, what, what makes me think the game on November 23rd is, is really the game of the year in the Big Ten because it has been the game of the year in the Big Ten most years. It hasn't been Ohio State and Michigan. It hasn't been the Big Ten championship game. It's been Penn State and Ohio State, especially in, in, in State College where, where Penn State's had a little bit more success, but they've also been a team that can come into Ohio Stadium and not be intimidated and get that game into the fourth quarter with an opportunity to win. I do think there were some – it was a curious question when Saquon Barkley left and then when Trace McSorley left is like, are the, did these two guys just like kind of prop up the James Franklin era at Penn State and now trying to replace them, they're going to take a major step back? And they didn't. And that's, I think that's a great point by you that like they're, they've lost some people, but look what they're doing this year with like a whole new crop of dudes. And it lets you yeah. know, um, um, you know, kind of what they have going there. So then this is all leading up to, again, these kind of questions that make me feel like a homer to ask them. But I, I, I want to get your perspective on this. My first year covering Ohio State was 2005. They won the Big Ten the first six seasons I was here. 2011, everything yeah. exploded. And then they get Urban Meyer and they go up a level. Now Urban Meyer leaves after a weird offseason, you know, the Zach Smith stuff and the way that Urban left. And it's like, okay, maybe they'll be vulnerable now. And they're looking like maybe the best team in the country with a head coach who had never done this before. What is ever going to stop Ohio State from being the best team in the Big Ten, Adam? And it's like a crazy thing to ask because we know stuff changes. But we wrote a series here at Cleveland.com a couple of years ago about how Ohio State might be the most indestructible program in college football because even, you know, Bama before Saban and and, and uh, the problems with Charlie Strong at Texas and what happened. And you look at what happened with yeah. USC since Pete Carroll left. You look at Florida State, what they're going through right now. Like, so Michigan, you thought Michigan was indestructible. They sucked for a decade. You look at what happens oh, yeah. to some of these programs and it hasn't happened to Ohio State. I don't know, Adam, if you and I are going to retire in another 50 years. And the Big Ten is still going to look like this with Ohio State at the top and everybody chasing. What's going to change that reality? Yeah, I mean, it, 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 it really is a reality. I, I, my, my instinct is to say bad coaching hires. It's really the only thing. And again, to be fair to Michigan, they've had some of those. And, and that's hurt them you know, since the end of the Lloyd Carr era. You know, coaching hires that just haven't panned out. Um, and obviously we'll see how the Harbaugh one uh, ultimately fares. But I think for Ohio State, when they've struggled, it's been largely because they, they didn't hire the right coach or the coach that they, that they thought they were getting just, just didn't achieve at that historically successful level. Uh, and I think that's the only thing that it's going to – because, again, there'll never be a problem with program support. There'll never be a problem with access to talent. The, the, the history and the tradition is going to be there. Um, and I, I don't know how Ohio State ever goes through an extended down period. I mean, you, you know, and, and certainly the, the 2011 to 2012 thing is unusual because of, you know, who was available and, uh, and, and, you know, wanting to be at Ohio State as Urban did 
after 2011. But you know, e- even if Urban wasn't available, I think they would have been a program maybe another uh, year of, of, of eight and four or nine and three, and all of a sudden they're winning the Big Ten again. Because I, I just think that it's set up because of, of, of what the program has been and then also the access to recruiting in the by far the best recruiting state in the Big Ten footprint. Plus, you can go to Michigan. You can, do, you can go west to Illinois. You can go south to, to Texas and Georgia and Florida. And there's history of those players coming to Columbus and having success. And so I, I, I don't know how this changes. Will, will other teams win the Big Ten? Yes. But will other teams win, you know, four out of six Big Ten championships? If that's the case, then Ohio State's really screwed up with, with, with coaching or some other, some other element of the program. And I, and I can't even think of what that other element is. I, I think ultimately, as long as they continue to hire, uh, you know, high-level, competent coaches who understand how to win here, and it's not, it's not that hard. They're gonna they're gonna keep winning. I, I you know I kept waiting. I I I've, I've covered the Big Ten since 2008, and I'm waiting for Michigan. You know, Penn State right. has bubbled up a few times. Wisconsin has been a really really uh, good program, and and has competed with almost everybody nationally. But like you said, they've had a hard time competing with Ohio State. I, I think it's it's safe to say that 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 that, that uh, you know I think I think I think uh, I think uh, 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 Scott Frost and Nebraska might win a Big Ten championship at some point, but they're far away from that. Iowa might win another Big Ten championship, but the, but the, but that's you know it, it, it would just be a one off. It, it just it's so hard to consistently compete with what Ohio State football is right now. Adam Rittenberg, we appreciate your insight. We've always enjoyed uh, hanging out over the years. Um, it's just it's uh, it's hard sometimes because, again, I mean, I think it's you just have to write what the reality is. Right. And and yeah, they've done so much right. And the thing that's just that has been, I think, the thing that is uh, maybe the most unexpected thing that to me since doing this is that they, they've had two major things that, that could have knocked this program sideways here. And right. the Trestle thing knocked them sideways for a year and they got Urban Meyer. And then you learn you lose Urban Meyer, who's one of the five or ten best college football coaches of all time, and you're eight and zero, and you look like the best team in the country. And it's like even when it looks like they're in a crisis situation, they they are able to get back on track so quickly. I think it, it must be in some ways disheartening to the rest of the Big Ten because I think if you were Penn State or Michigan or somebody else, it's like well we got Urban out of here, maybe we have some room now, and it feels like the room already has been taken up by Ryan Day. Yeah, and I mean, you probably have this conversation too, or this debate. Um, you know, who, what are the best jobs? And you know, uh, I, I think I think I think Ohio State is always in that top two or three conversation when you ask a coach, "Hey, if you could take any job in the country, which one would it be?" Your know, coaches want uh, access to talent. They want uh, they want administrative support. They want um, you know tradition and just being at a program that's always won. I think that's that's part of it. Is is in college football, the programs that have always won kind of keep winning as long as as long as there's not a major problem at the top. And I, I think it's a credit, it's certainly a huge credit to what Alabama has done because they did go through an extended uh, down period. They, they, they've had those in their history, and they don't have necessarily the same access to local talent that Ohio State has and that USC has and that uh, Georgia has. Georgia is, is typically looked at as a program uh, the, a job that, that's even better than Alabama if all things are equal, but it hasn't been, and, and they've underachieved over the years. Whereas Alabama has has, has really uh, you know been obviously one of the greatest programs of all time. So yeah, it, it, it's 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 uh, it's 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 interesting to to kind of look at because 
Um, you know, I, and I feel like I'm always, you know, down on Michigan, but I, I think there's, there's some inherent challenges there that are going to be hard for any coach to overcome. Even if, you know, Urban Meyer goes there, even if uh, Bob Stoops goes there, I, I, I just think because you're in a state without as much talent, uh, you're, you have a competitor in the state, in Michigan State, which has been a very uh, solid program recently. Ohio State doesn't really have that, and um, I, I, I guess I don't see this thing slowing down. And, and this, this would have been a year, right, going in that, that you could have – maybe somebody gets Ohio State. Maybe Michigan gets them. Maybe Penn State gets them. But it doesn't look like anyone's getting them at this point. Adam Rittenberg of ESPN, we appreciate your help. Um, we will see you soon, and thanks so much for taking time here on Buckeye Talk. Uh, you, it, I always appreciate you, Doug. You do a great job, and uh, happy to do this. Uh, let's get to some questions. We're not going to be able to get to all of them. We always appreciate you guys sending the questions on the text. Hey, Doug and the gang, this is from the 440. There's been a lot of talk in the past about how important those random seniors were to help in the 2014 title team, and even Urban saying if a guy hears a fifth year, something went wrong. With that said, where would this Buckeye team be right now without the contributions of redshirt seniors, Damon Arnett, B.B. Landers, Jayshon Cornell, Devon Hamilton, Justin Hilliard, K.J. Hill, Josh Alibi, and Brandon Bowen? What a massive supplement they've been uh, to the great 17 and 18 recruiting classes from the 440. I mean, like that is like such a thorough and smart um, and complete question. Like you sort of asked it and answered it in the same thing. But I have always said... Um, as much as the 2013 recruiting class of sophomores fueled the 2014 team, the fact that you also had guys like Devin Smith and Michael Bennett and Curtis Grant and these remnants of the Trestle era who were really solid, good. A lot of them were Ohio guys, like just really good football players. They were absolutely huge. They were absolutely now, you know, again, Joey Bose and Ezekiel Elliott and everybody else, but Michael Bennett and Devin Smith and, and those guys went a long way to that. I don't think it's like a hundred percent necessary. Like, do you have to have a bunch of fifth year seniors to win? No, I don't think you do. I think in this era, um, if you just run an NFL guys through and all of your starters are third year guys who are about to go to the NFL, I think that would work. I, I don't know that you have to have a plan for fifth year seniors. But there have often been guys here, and, and again, Ryan Day was just talking about Davon Hamilton today. Um, that is a big group of guys, especially on that defensive line. The fact that K.J. Hill at slot receiver came back when he could have gone pro to help this receiver room. I don't know. How would you characterize what you think? And I think – I'm, I'm trying to think off the top of my head. I think the 4-4-0 got everybody. Arnett, Landers, Cornell, Hamilton, Hilliard, Hill, Allaby, Bowen – how would you try to describe the contributions of that group to the success of this team? Well, it's it's. I don't know that it always has to be fifth-year seniors in order for this to happen, but I think what's interesting for this program is how many of its elite guys are halfway through their junior season. Some of them are even sophomores, um, even some redshirt freshmen that are making huge impacts. Like Those guys are really kind of their frontline, all-American type guys. And then it's not just that these guys are providing depth, but I think it's the the sort of unspoken leadership that comes from having that many guys that are, are fifth-year seniors. Um, you know, th those are the guys who um, cut through the noise a little bit because, you know, a lot of those other guys, there's a lot of um, demands on their time and their attention and all those sorts of things. And uh, sometimes these other guys are the ones who get to just kind of put their head down and go to work and make you 
you know, they're the ones who get to capitalize when other teams are focusing on those sort of very unique players at other positions. So, um, I, I've seen this in, in the past in, in other, in other teams, other sports, um, where you know, those guys don't get a lot of attention, but it's really what they're doing Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday that end up applying to the win on Saturday as much as what happens there. I think, um, it's reasonable when you have, I don't think you want the only leaders on your team to be guys about to go to the NFL. And that is not a shot at guys about to go to the NFL. But when you are about to be a millionaire, you've just got some other things on your mind. Yeah. Um, and of course you're going to have some older guys, but it's hard to lead when you don't play. So yes, yeah. I, I think when you are in a situation where the only guys who play are future NFL guys, so they also have to play awesome, think about their futures, and lead – and by all accounts, J.K. Dobbins and Chase Young are two of the great leaders for this team. But it certainly, I think, gives you some comfort underneath it. And and do you have to have it? No. But I think it is your – it's your like your mulligan. It's like your fallback position. It's like your – it's your safety net. They're your safety net, I think. And maybe you won't need it. But I think anytime if you feel like anything starts to get sideways a little bit um, – those are the guys that can help you get it straightened out. And if they're just a bunch of guys on the second team who never are on the field, it's harder for them to do. So, yes, they're, it, it matters that Davon Hamilton is playing well, and he played really well. Absolutely matters. But it just the presence of the fact that, hey, we know we have some guys like that. It matters that Damon Arnett – it's hard to characterize. It matters that Damon Arnett is playing really well. Absolutely matters. If he had gone pro and – Cam Brown was starting, I still think they'd be 8-0. No. Yeah. You know what I mean? So it's like, uh, you can say that individual positions. You if can, you like, take one guy out, one guy out. You can, but when you take yeah. it out across the board, then it does – that's what I was about to say was that, you know, imagine this team without those 50-year seniors in the defensive tackle rotation. They would still be very good, but they get to rotate those guys a lot and now take two sophomores and put them in their spots – there is a drop off. You're not having maybe the same kind of consistent beat a team down success that you do right now with this defensive front is doing or, um, or on the, or on the offensive line. You know, if you take out, um, Brandon Bowen from this situation, you take out Bowen and Alibi, you know, now you've got Petit Frere, but there's a reason why Petit Frere hasn't been able to beat anybody out yet to this point. Although by all accounts, he played but, well the other night. I mean, that's it, a good it, point. It does. That's it, safety net. Right. Right. And so that is where it would begin to show up if it was kind of if if a, if this team were like some other programs where you lose a lot of those guys to the portal or whatever. And it may have happened not just this offseason. It could have happened two years ago when they saw the writing on the wall. Like, well, I'm not going to be able to play until this distant point or play as much as I want. But, I mean, look at, you know, Justin Hilliard. I mean, he did not talk like a guy the other day that had any bitterness at all. And And, again, he was just playing, you know, one of the most important games of his career, one of the most important contributions of his career. But, um, but I just want to see what the, what the, yeah, sorry. We're interrupting the phone. To, uh, What's the, what, what, what time are we at? Can we just do the, can you just see, see the timer? Too. I have 46. Nathan's got to get out of here. He's got some cool stuff coming up. Um, but I was going to say, it's, uh, that was, I was riveting podcast material right there. No, they like it. They like it. They like our rawness, I think. <laughs> they like to know we're human. Very they like to know raw. We're, we're, oh, we're I am too human. Too human. <laughs> um, and now I've lost my train of thought. 
No, but like that, that idea of like, I mean, you're kind of saying like NPF, right? Is a top 10 national recruit isn't good enough to win a starting job. And you have Josh Allaby and Brandon Bowen right there. Right. And if none, if they didn't exist, then you'd probably have to play a guy who was a top 10 national recruit as a sophomore who actually probably isn't quite ready to play yet. Right. And, and that's quite a world to fall back on. I, I, I mean, I think that is, that is a luxury. And you were talking about guys in the portal. Like if they just would, if all those guys would have left, and Ryan Day is taking that as a point of pride. He lost the two quarterbacks. They lost uh, Keandre Jones to Maryland at linebacker. And everybody will write about Keandre Jones when they play Maryland. But it wasn't a mass exodus. And you you see how that matters. You do see how it happens. Yeah. The, the point I was making was about Justin Hilliard, a guy who had had as much reason as anybody. Not, not just to – I mean, it wasn't even just playing time stuff. It was, you know, his ankle got exploded in the spring and he wonders, am I done? Like, is it even realistic to try to come back and play football this year? Even watching what tough Borland had done, you know, there's a question. Not everybody gets to come back that fast. And he did. And, and look at what he got to experience and what he's going to get to experience the rest of the season potentially. So I, I do think that there is something to be said for guys sticking it out and, and persevering and what that means to your team, regardless of whether or not they become even first string guys, star guys. I think that impact, I think that presence does sort of wind its way through the whole roster. All right, we're going to try to lightning round this some of this stuff. Can Nathan justify his AP ballot from the 703? I don't quite understand how he can put LSU at four. I'd argue that LSU is better than Ohio State because LSU has better wins. No disrespect, just a little puzzled. What's your top five? My top five uh, off the top of my head was Ohio State, Clemson, Alabama, LSU, Penn State. But what you have to remember is Everybody, everybody looks at that and they see teams ranked one through five, or we'll take Penn State out and just say those one through four. It's, I, one through four, there is very little separation. I mean, nationally, there was very little separation between one and three. Eight points out of all the thousands of yeah, points. No, we're not talking about that. We're talking about your ballot. But I'm saying that there is very little difference, even in a, in the way an individual, individual person votes between. But why do you, why do you have Clemson? One. Why do you have Clemson too? Ahead of Alabama and LSU. Because I think when I look at um, metrics, you know, I try to look at objective data. So I'm looking at computer rankings. I'm looking at various you know metrics that are out there. Um, and Clemson ranks really, really highly um, across the board. If you look at you know the I got it in front of me actually. I guess um, Clemson is number two in Massey, number three in Sagarin, number three in the College Football um, Sports Reference. Um, what they call SOS, which is like a simple or a, what do they call it? SRS, simple rating system to strength the schedule and what you've done. And, um, that's the number two. If you average those out, it's number two in the country behind Ohio State. That's not the only reason I put them number two. I, I legitimately think that they're, they're really good and have a, and are playing really well right now. I know that they, they had some slip ups earlier this year, but it's also what they're doing right now that, that has to be a factor too. But really, I think there is very little separation between one through four. You could vote any of those four teams number one right no, now. No, but but we're not talking about what you could do. You got to talk about what you did do. Well, and so yeah, so what I did do was I, I mean, Ohio State has been the most complete team across the board. I have some questions about LSU from a defensive standpoint, but not so much that I I think they're not one of the four best. I mean, there's four undefeated teams in the country. They're all playing great. You got to line them up somehow. Yeah, but no, yeah, yeah. But yeah, I mean, this is the, the, the worst part about voting. It's like, <laughs> I just did the best I could. The one and... I'm, the one I'm really getting killed on is how high I have Auburn, especially relative to where I have Florida. And, um, I don't want to tell you guys. I, you know, like I said, you don't necessarily compare every team against every other team. 
it's not a head-to-head comparison. You're trying to get a good snapshot Auburn of, six of a team and two. season. Right. And they've lost to, to Florida. You have 6-2 and two Auburn who lost to Florida five spots ahead of 7-1 and one Florida. Correct. Yeah, I'd give you crap for that, too. Yeah. I probably deserve crap for that, but again, it's, it's, you're not trying, again, it's, people see that, they see that their favorite team isn't ranked in a certain spot, and they latch onto that. I understand why, I appreciate everyone's zeal, and I try to have respectful conversations with people on Twitter about that. People can see that I've, I've responded, I, I put out a thing each week that explains, gives some transparency to my vote, even though it's not really that important in the, at the end of the day, but, it's uh, the, the reason some of these decisions, at least on my ballot, are being born from not trying to make a snap judgment based on one game that happened. So, so this is a head-to-head. You're making a head-to-head argument. You're saying you don't value head-to-head. It's a tiebreaker, certainly. Because you have a team with two losses that lost to a one-loss team five spots right. ahead of that team. Right. But so, also a team that just lost barely on the road at the team that a lot of people are voting number one, which is LSU. And Florida also played well against LSU early this year. So, I, you know, that I, I probably am too low on Florida. I don't necessarily think I'm the, I'm too high on Auburn, though. I think Auburn's a, a tremendous team. I think it's just you're, you're trying to look at a whole season. You're trying to um, – there's a lot of factors that go the into head it. Head-to-head is hard because Auburn beat Oregon – you yes. have Auburn ahead of Oregon. Yes. Um, but also Auburn has two losses, but it's like Oregon so is you actually valued the Auburn win over Oregon in the head to head, but you didn't put but, Florida ahead of Auburn. But I wasn't necessarily, no, because I wasn't necessarily comparing the fact that Auburn had beaten Oregon as a reason why one is six and one is seven. It can't just, it, it's not, wins and losses matter in the standings. I don't, in, in the no, poll, it's a much broader, especially when the schedule asked. is not finished. And it's like, exactly. I think at the end of the year, then records also do exactly. make sense. But if and someone's I, played harder teams and someone's played easier teams. Right. And Oregon has won seven straight games since it lost at Auburn in the season over. You could argue that I should have, or someone could vote Oregon ahead of Auburn. In fact, there probably are people right now that are voting Oregon ahead of Auburn because Auburn has lost twice, even right. though Auburn beat Oregon head to head. Um, you know, it's, it, it becomes no tricky. There, well, there probably maybe there's an answer. I don't know, but there's I, this is the answer that I came up with. I, I also point out that you know, I you know, I think I'm not good. voting Illinois ahead of Wisconsin. I'm not voting South Carolina ahead of Georgia. It's not just based on one game. You have to look at the full resume. I would have if I was voting, I'd have Ohio State one, LSU two. Um, That's completely reasonable. What was the TV pass Wisconsin had? Was it actually meant for the dude that caught it? I think it was actually meant for the outside guy. Okuda got asked about this on Tuesday. We got a couple players on Tuesday. He said, uh, I think he said that some people thought also that maybe a route was run wrong because two receivers wound up yeah. in the same area. He seemed to indicate he thought that was what was supposed to happen. And he thought the, rece- the, the quarterback sort of in the moment tried to make a play and sort of put the ball in a spot that sort of pulled the receiver that caught it sort of toward that other stuff. But – I don't think he was describing it as like that was a mistake by them. I think it was a, an adjustment in the moment. Um, and I know someone was, was referencing, I think Jeff Halfley said he thought that was going to be picked mm-hmm. at the time. And I think, you know, maybe they thought like, oh, maybe someone could have made a play on that. I just thought it was like weird, but not weird lucky, more like weird well executed in the moment. I so I was giving Wisconsin credit for that. I thought it was a, a pretty good team making a play. Um, which is going to happen over the course of a game. Um, you still win thirty-eight to seven. That's what that's what we're at right now with this team, where you get to go back and look at the one weird play that led to a touchdown, and um, as if it's a potential cause of concern of, of some kind. But I think it's just a a weird play that happened, and um, 
Wisconsin's not bad. That's why it's impressive that Ohio State won 38 to 7. Someone asked how I could say that they're like a fraud, but it's also a good win. Um, the other day, cause I think like on the post game podcast, it was like, I think, you know, Wisconsin's not who people thought they were. I think they were puffed up. But then someone says, well, has Ohio, beat, has Ohio State beaten anybody yet? And I would say, yes, they have beaten somebody. It's not that Wisconsin's terrible. Like the, Wisconsin, I think is like a solid top 20 team. So you get credit for beating them. They are a good team. They are not, they never belonged in the national championship. They should be getting number one votes. They're as good as Ohio State. They were never that. So that's my distinction. People were overrating them as a top five team, but they are a top 20 team. And so we can't sit here and say Ohio State has played nobody if they haven't played a top five team. I think Penn State's going to be close to legitimately a top five team. Wisconsin was never that, but, but it does count as beating somebody. Absolutely. I don't think Wisconsin's like a six and six team. Right. They're just, I don't want to hear them compared to Alabama. Well, the reason it's a good win is because they won 38 to seven. If they had won, if they'd won 21 to four, 21 to 17, it wouldn't be considered as good of a win. Or if they had won 38 to 37, it certainly wouldn't be considered as good of a win. But the fact that they're going out, whenever they have to play one of these other pretty good teams, a top 20 caliber team like Cincinnati, or a a team that's also getting votes in Indiana now, um, they don't just beat those teams, they kind of obliterate those teams. You know, Michigan State, I can go show you metrics that say Michigan State is actually a, a, a good team that's just played a really tough schedule. It's been one of the toughest schedules in the country. And Ohio State blows them out of the water. I mean, that's that's what we've talked. They've separated themselves up into another upper echelon, and now they just get to be in that conversation of can you maintain it? Your metrics are lying to you. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, the, uh, somebody likes to get behind the scenes a little bit from the eight four three. This is Nate. How did Stephen and Nathan end up writing for Cleveland.com? And let's try to keep these short. We got probably another half hour of us talk about this. Stephen's here. Stephen is here. Oh, Stephen yeah. was at basketball interviews. Hello. He has arrived. Stephen, how did you wind up writing for Cleveland.com? So um I was living in Cuyahoga Falls, um, just doing freelance work. I started off by saying, let's try to keep this short. And Stephen says, I was born in nineteen ninety four. No, it's really a really short story. I'm doing freelance work. One of the freelance works I was doing is I was doing a high school like football games on Friday night for Cleveland.com. And at some point, um, now my boss, David Campbell, he like would ask me, I'd be periodically, Hey, what was I doing? If I was like working anywhere full time. And I would go, no, I'm just doing freelance work and working at Giant Eagle. Fun times. And then like eventually one day he called me and, and, um, I think like at that time, I think Bill had just like transitioned over to, to the athletic. And he called me and asked me if I wanted to interview for a job to cover Ohio State football. And I said, yes, because I'm not an idiot. And so within two weeks, two or three weeks, I did an interview. I got the job and I was packing up my car and heading back to home to Columbus to stay at my parents' house to cover Ohio State football for the rest of the season. Give honest answer. We had lunch before you were hired. What did you think of me? You were cool. You paid for lunch. So like, it wasn't my money. That was yeah. Oh yeah, you're a great was, guy. That was lunch on advance. No, no, no. no. Would, you could be honest. You have the job. You could be honest. Great, dude, like the, I mean, I'm not gonna be like, oh, he's the, the worst person in the world. It was the first meeting. I don't think. Oh yeah, was, that after the. Yeah, like the, no, I don't think either one of us walked away from that. Like, man, he's just a huge like dick, horrible person. Like, no, you were cool. How'd you get your job, Nathan? You know, I was covering a a basketball program. The where, short remain nameless. The short remain nameless. And living in, in in Indiana, and um, had reached a stage where I was kind of looking around for jobs, but um, didn't. I was not aware of this one until Dave Campbell reached out to me and asked if I might be interested, and that just sort of started the process. And here I sit. 
You know, I put your name on the list. That's that's what I hear. Um, and look at that, and here we are. Nobody asked how I got my job, so I'll keep it to myself because I knew the boss. Uh, <laughs> what's your opinion on Noodles and Company? Do you guys eat at Noodles and Company? I just ate at Noodles and Company for the first time. Really? About six weeks ago after moving here. Because there's one on uh, Fifth Avenue. They're uh, all, up from, they're all yeah. over the place. But I, that's the first one. I don't even know why I decided to go there that day. But I was like, oh, I just need something real quick that I can grab and take home for lunch. And that's what it was. What would you think? It's fine. Fine. Nathan, are you a, or Steven, are you a Noodles and Company guy? I've had it. I mean, I'm not like a big like Noodles and Company guy. But like, it's good. It's one of those places that I feel like is a little overpriced for what you're actually getting. My kids love it. It's like their number one fast casual place. They eat it a lot without me because like it's not my jam necessarily. Um, I think you can get some good like the Asian noodles and stuff there. That's um, what I got. Sometimes my kids get like plain noodles, and it's like no. if we're gonna get plain noodles, then like I'll go buy a ninety nine cents a box of pasta at Giant Eagle and cook it at home. Like I, I you're paying too much for pasta. I get very wound up about going out to eat for things that you can easily make at home. Yeah, like yeah. I. I'm a terrible cook. I can't make anything. So I go out to eat all the time. But like I can make a steak sandwich. So I don't want to go buy a, a $7 steak sandwich when I can make a facsimile for 50 yeah. cents. And so if I want to go get pasta, I want I want them to bring it a little bit. I do think they do a pretty good job. Also, I think – do you guys ever get the giant Rice Krispie treats? They have them at all, I think, Noodles and Company. It's like mm. their standard dessert. Giant Rice Krispie treat. I think sometimes in the, the dessert field, if you don't want ice cream – but you want a quick dessert. I think often the dessert field is lacking. And I've talked on here, I like going to a gas station to get a candy bar. I think that donuts in the evening should be remarketed as mini dessert cakes. But I think that a giant Rice Krispie treat wrapped in cellophane, still fresh. I love it. I think McDonald's should make Rice Krispie treats. You just, I mean, they're the easiest thing in the world to make. Top shelf. Cause sometimes, right? If you want a little dessert after a fast casual dinner and you don't want ice cream, sometimes you're searching. Yeah, but there's like never a time where I don't want ice cream. Mm. Like I could, <laughs> if I had to eat ice cream once an hour every hour, I could probably really? give up. Oh, yeah. wow. I, I mean, I weigh I mean, 700 does. pounds, but it tastes good. I, I love ice cream. I like Rice Krispie Treats. What's, uh, oh, someone also says I'd like to throw in. Uh, that Stephen will not be able to eat an entire deep dish pizza. There is so much starch in that crust. You know what I'm going to do? Plus, the cheese starts to taste like plastic oh, after a we while. We should give an update. Stephen tried to pull the, I don't have to eat the crust on us. <laughs> and that was quickly dispelled. Yeah, we talked about it, I think, on the post-game podcast. But, I mean, like, it is, this is captivating. We felt very bad about delaying this because, honestly, we know that there are people who started listening to this podcast for football. Yeah. But are ticked. You're listening to this right now. Honestly, you're mad that right. Steven's yeah, not, not shoving a pizza in his mouth. I'm going to have a Chase Young-like performance with this pizza, and then it's all going to go to my head. Yeah, you're going to play three quarters at most. Yep. And, and then, it'll, be, yeah, it'll be done by three quarters in, and I'll be sitting no, over you'll, there. No, you'll, you'll, be, you'll be done after the three quarters. will be eating my crumbs. Did you start to not eat thinking we were maybe going to do it today? I did. I have not eaten today. I have not eaten since... 11 o'clock on Sunday, started to prepare Oh, myself. my God. It's am, 3 o'clock on Tuesday. Hungry. I am, like, genuinely hungry right now. I feel well, like, yeah. Okay. Well, you know what would really I, help you? Just don't keep going for yeah. another week. No, 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 no. no. I'm, I'm, I'm starving right now. Why isn't Garrett Wilson the full-time punt returner? This came up with Ryan Day on Tuesday. This is from the 614. Like, I think he's going to be. We already sort of talked about yeah. this in the opening. I, I think we're getting to that point. 
614 also, do you have a different opinion about the Michigan game after this weekend? I didn't watch every snap of Notre Dame-Michigan. I know they got up early. Um, in, in some, If we thought conditions were bad yeah. in Columbus, they were insane in Ann Arbor. It, it feels like, and again, people who have followed this more closely, everyone's saying it feels like they found something in the second half against Penn State. And yeah. the issue is that did you think that like Michigan was just like a failure or that they hadn't found it yet? And again, this is the team that in our Cleveland.com poll was picked to win the East. Phil Steele, who really knows college football, thought this might have been Michigan's year. I think it does have to, if as an Ohio State fan, I think you do have to look at the Michigan game a little differently because oh, yeah. the rankings are going to be based on they couldn't move the ball against Wisconsin. They got steamrolled by a Wisconsin team that we saw the limitations of Wisconsin up close. But if they have moved beyond that and reached the point where it's like, man, if they played Wisconsin today, I think they'd win that game. Now you're back to them being like the top 10 team. Even if we were wrong to pick them to win the East, they were close. They were certainly a lot of – everyone was picking them at least in number two, not Penn State. If they're that, you are legitimately looking at an end of the season for Ohio State where Ohio State might legitimately be the best team in the country and has to finish the the season against like – the fifth best team in the country and like the seventh best team in the country. And that is just hard. And I yeah, think, but they'll get a break in the big 10 championship game. Assuming well, they get I there. Mean, assume, uh, that's, it's just hard. And it's, it, again, it's not about where Michigan's ranked at the end because they already have the loss. They already have the, the two losses that they're going to be hanging around right. their neck. And maybe it's not even that it's about the Wisconsin, you know, somebody was going to lose the, the Michigan Penn State game. But if they're, they played close with Penn State, we think in the second half they got it together. If we think Penn State's a real challenge to all Ohio State, I do. My advice would be, yes, Ohio State fans view Michigan a little differently. I think maybe they're figuring it out. Yes. And I think it's in some ways the fact that it's going to be in Ann Arbor. I mean, which which game now looks like it has a lot in common with some of the the Iowa game, the Purdue game you're talking about, it's on the road. It's a team that may be underachieved and is starting to figure some things out. You've got a coach who, no matter what people around here think of him, has been a successful coach in the past. I mean, there there start to be some similarities with some of those road upsets from the last couple of years. I'm going to play devil's advocate a little bit because I'm, I'm just looking at the numbers from this game. I mean, Notre Dame wasn't good in this game, and neither was Michigan. Their defense was pretty solid, and I think that's what won them the game. Shea Patterson was 6-for-12 with two touchdown passes. It was like a monsoon, right, for a lot of them. It was gross. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, they, like, their starting running back, Haskins, ran for <laughs> Haskins, 149 yards on 20 carries. I just – I think that's going to – if that continues, I don't see that being much different than Wisconsin where it's – Ohio State can stop Michigan's offense, but Michigan can't stop Ohio State's offense. Don't trail off at the end of your sentences. It it, it, it hurts me sometimes when I'm trying to do oh. the editing. Sorry, guys. Yeah, I just I, it's like it's for dramatic effect. I think you make a point with dramatic effect. It's just I can't hear you sometimes, and then yeah. I have to up. I have to amplify you. Sorry, guys. Thing. Okay, to, to, to ex- amplify my final <laughs> point, I don't think Ohio's. I don't think Michigan can stop Ohio State's offense, but Ohio State's defense can most definitely stop Michigan's offense because it's just non-existent right now. I, I don't know that, like, they have some skill guys. They do have some skill guys. Yeah. Like, Donovan, Donovan Peoples Jones is a real yeah, guy. You know? they, like, got... they, they have some, I think they, like, Wisconsin had, like, a good running back, and we, we know what Wisconsin was. I feel like there's more there for Michigan if 
this Gaddis thing combines with the Harbaugh thing and somehow gets rolling. And they're I, to your point, they're not all the way there. No, but like they're showing signs of life at a time when people had left them for dead. Right. Honestly, it was like they're fragile. The Gaddis thing is a bomb. They're dead. They're going to lose like, four or five games. And they're not dead. No. They're not dead. Um, is this the week of the Great Pizza Challenge from the 206? <laughs> what are the parameters? Does he have to finish Why it? Why are there rules of how I eat my food? Well, uh, uh, does he have to finish at the time of the podcast? How many bathroom breaks is he allowed? And how long must Stephen hold the pizza down after finishing? See, I thought that was an important caveat. It's not. Like, I, no. I think, okay, I, I do think there should be a time limit. Like, I think I, two hours is reasonable. Yeah. That's how long our normal podcast But even is. then, like, if, like, I've got, like, if, say I'm, like, on, like, my last piece and a half with, like, in, like, if I can finish that within, like, 20 minutes after we're done, I think I'm good. As far as holding it down, you can't tell my body, I mean, you can't tell me to force, like, a puke back down if I'm clearly getting ready to puke. That's not healthy. But if you puke in the in the process of eating the pizza, you have lost. Yeah, I mean, like Joey Chestnut and Kobayashi, they can't puke. Right, right. There is I'm, a. There I'm is not a, a professional though. They, they no, but this is but this is a challenge. Yeah, right. a challenge. Right. right. For uh, fun. <laughs> I will say though, if someone pukes in the middle of eating a pizza, oh, a deep dish pizza, exactly. No, they're I, not going to. They're not going to finish in, in middle, two hours. But it's like even if you restart. What they're saying is like, okay, I finished the pizza, and like within like. 90 seconds afterward, I'm like, okay, I gotta go to the bathroom and puke. I won. I won. If I don't well, puke until the end, I won. You've, you've lost, but perhaps you've won. I've yeah, won. I'm not, we're not gonna follow you've you walked, into the you've, bathroom. You've won this challenge, but lost something more. Yeah. <laughs> You're right. But I won. Um, Mike from Orlando, if Ohio State beats Penn State, they're going to Indianapolis. Could right. Ryan Day sit everyone and tell the committee there's no point to play my guys? When we have to play another game after this, why would beating Michigan prove how any more dominant they have been? Uh, Mike from Orlando in the three, two, one. I I understand the question. It's Michigan. Like it's. Yeah. I mean, like it's not worth discussing. Like the yeah, idea. Yeah, I mean, we had we had a fun forty minute conversation about like not taking players to Rutgers. It's Michigan, and if we're gonna get into a world where like college football teams are sitting players out, the committee will just tell you you're not in then. Like, like, right. Penn, not, Penn State's already beaten Michigan, by the way. So, so like, they, you know, they and, took that yeah. challenge. And to the point of what we just talked about with Michigan, like, that's a perfect staple to end your regular season. If you can go out there and have the type of offense you had last season, but then not also give up 30 plus points. But it's just like, it's not, I mean, the idea of like not playing guys against Michigan. Yeah. It's just, it's not realistic. Um, would this Ohio State team beat last year's Ohio State team from the 2 5 2? I think so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, like, the defense is playing so much better. Um, this defense would get stops. That defense wouldn't – be it, that offense would be able to put up points. At maybe it – but, like, it wouldn't get any stops. It would be interesting. I mean, the receivers last year, Paris was really good. You know, Terry McLaurin was a good receiver. Like, I do think last year's receivers were better than this year's receivers. Especially the way Olave came on at the end. Like, that was, yeah. uh, you know, they miss, they don't have anybody who's as scary right now as Paris Campbell was last year. He had 90 catches. And I know all the, the numbers aren't just it. Yeah. But, um, this defense hasn't played yet any offense nearly as good as last year's Ohio State offense. Yeah, that's so it's hard to gauge. And they haven't played a quarterback like Dwayne. So, but it's like this, cause it, and the hard thing is about that, it's, it's basically the same defense, just with different coaches. Yeah. Almost all the players are, are the same. Other than Nick Bosa, I mean, like, if you give me, like, week two Ohio State with Nick Bosa, 
I asked Ryan Day this today to kind of see what he would say. We thought we were going to get Chase Young, and we didn't. The idea that like Nick Bosa is arguably the best defensive player in the NFL, and Chase Young is inarguably the best defensive player in college football, and they were the two starting defensive ends for this team last year, is such an opportunity missed. Yeah. And we all knew it. But every week that Nick Bosa is ripping off the arms of NFL quarterbacks, it amplifies. I mean, that's the – of all the things, the guy opposite Chase Young right now is either Jonathan Cooper or Tyreek Smith. The guy opposite Chase Young last year is like the, the best defensive player in the NFL. And we just didn't get to see it. It makes me want to go back and watch the first two and a half games of last year because – I also want to ask Chase about this, and we'll get to a question about Chase. Chase wasn't this right away last year. No, and we didn't know why until he went, yeah, I had two sprained ankles. And he did that, but he didn't have two sprained ankles the first week. It wasn't. No, he said he sprained them against maybe like the third week of the season. So I want to go watch. So that means the first two weeks of the year, you had Nick Bosa and Chase Young as healthy guys yeah. next to as a two defensive end. And I want to go rewatch that. Because, like, Bosa was great, but I don't remember thinking that, like, wow, Chase is also murdering people. So a question, was it, is it a combination of that, but also Nick's just that good? Because right now it's clear, like, it's a combination of Chase is just that good, but then also, like, there's a bit of a drop-off between, yeah. like, him and everybody else. And maybe, I'm re- maybe, like, I'm remembering it wrong, but, like, I just, for what they both are right now, the the game and a half when they were healthy together last year, I don't remember thinking this is the greatest defensive end pairing in the history of football. Yeah. When actually it absolutely was. And we only got it for two and a half games. But so, also the linebackers, I think, like is is that pairing good enough to like mask what the problems were with the linebackers? Right. Um Doug, in your eyes, what would have to happen for Chase Young to win the Heisman from the 719? I mean, like, we're on the path to it. Like, what would have to happen is what is happening. Or Chase Young package on the goal line. Because, and, and I've, I, I was a good question that Austin asked, Austin Ward asked that today, and we talked about it um, previously this year, the idea of that. I think, did you ask Chase about it earlier this year? I did. So, like, we, you know, we get it. Um, I mean, as much as I think Heisman voters aren't the smartest people in the world, every, there's so much exposure to everything. You don't need to catch a one-yard touchdown to, like, get your highlight on SportsCenter. Right. Like, people are going to understand that Chase Young is influencing games. And so are we going to get there? I don't know, but you can see the process. The process is every, literally every person, in the, every person in America who – writes about, talks about, or follows college football closely is discussing this idea. And I haven't heard, and maybe I'm following the wrong people, have you guys seen or heard anybody say, this is crazy? No. No, it's but, almost the opposite of everybody's taking the stance of, you're crazy if you don't think he belongs in New York. Right, but that's that's what's happening on Twitter. That's what's happening in the, the sphere of thought that we kind of um, walk around in. The problem is the Heisman voting body Doesn't is made up, up a yeah. lot of people who are not in that conversation. There's a lot of people who are voting who year in and year out will only vote for a quarterback or maybe a quarterback and running back. And that's where they stop even thinking about who they're going to vote for for the Heisman. So as long as there's a significant portion of the voting body that's made up of people like that, I don't know 
necessarily what he can do. I think the only thing that what will help him is if, you know, the reason this all happened was because Ohio State, Michigan was the big game at noon on Saturday on Fox this past weekend. Right. So there were a lot of national people who had booked their plans before Wisconsin lost to Illinois. And so they were still going to be at this game. And it got a lot of attention, I think, just from the casual viewers. And he went out there and was just wrecking havoc. And that kind of jump-started this conversation into a different level. So if he can do that against Penn times. State, against Michigan, in the college football playoffs if they get there, if he's doing that sort of thing against Alabama, Clemson, LSU, whoever, I think – but I think they'll have voted by then, right? Yeah, he's got yeah, three He's yeah. got three opportunities that, right. like, if he can take advantage of that stage again. That's Penn State, that's Michigan, and then that's the Big Ten Championship. Or, or and I would also say if he can get like – Ten sacks combined between Maryland but no, no, it's and, like it's no. the fact, like to your point, like everybody was watching and he had his coming out. He literally but showed not, up. That's fine, but he not. also has to have like just stupid numbers as a defensive end for this to happen. Yeah, I, I do think it's a common, it's a it's a combination of things, but but a part of it, a large part of it, is like the discussion of it, and the discussion is there. Like yes. the discussion is happening more than I've ever seen it, and I don't think it's just because we're Ohio State writers that we're aware of it. Um, there was definitely discussion around Sue. And Damakung Su, and he finished fourth. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he wasn't an end. You know, an end is just a little bit different. And I think if he gets to 20 sacks, and I think he will. He has five games. He has 13 and a half. He has five games left before the Heisman vote. And he's averaging like two a game at this point. If he gets One to of them 20, against an FCS team. If he gets to basically. 20, that's yeah. an insult to FCS. If he <laughs> gets to 20 sacks, I think that is a number to hang it on. And the rest of this continues. Now, the one thing people are asking about this um, from the three three six, if Ohio State can only send one guy to New York, are you taking Fields, Dobbins, Young, or Drew Crispin? We sort of talked about this in the video. Who would we take if one could go right now? Which one do we think should go? I mean, I should short answer. Chase, I it was up to us. Chase Young is Chase the best player should. on the best team. He should be in the highest. I league. think we all agree it would be Chase. Um, this team seems so focused right now. From the two one six, is there any chance that all this Chase Young Heisman talk derails that focus? I- we were supposed to talk to Chase Young among the players we talked to today, and we didn't. And we were going to maybe have some other interview opportunities with Chase this week, and they've backed off of those. Um, and that is a direct reaction to the whole world talking about it. I don't think it's a punishment. It's not a punishment. It's not that Chase did anything wrong. They are aware of it. And I think it's a directive from the coaches, like let's this guy's got enough pub for now, which is a very normal coach thing to do. Um, so I think they are trying to be proactive about that. I think we'll get back to talking to Chase Young. They do want to get him out there so that people can learn more about him and people can write and talk about him and help his chances. But they are trying to be proactive to this point about, all right, this dude is getting puffed up by everybody. Let's chill out for a little bit. I think this is a great time for them to have a bye week because – like, we've been getting him after games. So, like, say we hadn't got him today and, like, Saturday he goes off again and we get him after the game. It's just speaking more to that and more to that and more to that. Well, he doesn't have to talk to the media again until for another two weeks now. And so he gets, he gets his opportunity to go on Twitter and, like, smell himself a little bit without any consequences and then come back next week and get refocused and get back to the task at hand. So I think this bye week, especially for him, I think this is the perfect time for that to happen. Yeah, I, I don't think it is even as much about the distraction, although I'm sure that may be part of the thinking. But also, you're just at a moment. He had such a moment on Saturday that he's hyping. That performance is hyping him. They don't need the media to hype him, really. I mean, that performance is 
sort of leading the charge right now. So you just kind of let that work its magic for a week and then maybe come back with more later. And Ryan Day talked about that, like Ohio State does not need Heisman hyping. I've done a lot of various like yeah. Heisman campaign stuff over the years, and the answer is at a place like Ohio State, you don't need a Heisman campaign. Northern Illinois sends out Heisman campaign stuff. Right. I have Curtis Painter Heisman stuff in my basement. <laughs> I got weight. It was, who was the Northwestern quarterback? They sent out weights. What? As a Heisman thing one year. One of the random Northwestern quarterbacks. They're all Dan random Persa Northwestern or quarterbacks. Mike Kafka or I don't know. I mean, it's just like, I get it. It's a waste of money. None of that stuff, like, it, it, you, it's about awareness, but it's like, you're not going to, you know, I, the awareness is there. To your point, Chase Young made his own awareness. So I, I again, we want to have smart Heisman conversations here. I think there's going to be a lot of not so smart Heisman conversations in the next month. We're going to try to avoid that. Um, I do think it's not going to derail them. I do think they should be aware of it. And I think they are aware of it. And they're teenagers or 20-somethings. And if they start believing their own press, we know that has an effect on these guys sometimes. So I think they're going to be cognizant of that. I also think J.K. Dobbins, Chase Young, and Justin Fields seem like three guys who have their heads on straight. Yeah, they don't seem like guys who are going to see this as some kind of big rivalry. I think they're going to, they would be more likely to see it. Let's all go. Let's all, let's all three be in the conversation. Justin Fields was asked about it five times today. And every time he answered, he said, like, I'm not worried about it. I'm not thinking about it. Uh, podcast question from the 317. If Ohio State continues their current level of play and wins out, Along with the with either LSU or Alabama, the winner of that game, do you think Ohio State will get the number two ranking for the playoffs? I think if Ohio State is, I think if Ohio State wins out, they will get no lower than two. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So the issue is, who do you think would be ranked higher, Ohio State or Alabama or LSU as the undefeated SEC champ by the playoff committee? And this affects I- rankings. And we have a tip. That we're going to offer you after this discussion. I think Ohio State is going to be one in this first one, and the only team that could maybe beat them out is LSU. And then just because they do have those three top ten wins or whatever, and then I think the Alabama LSU winner probably passes them. And I don't know if, but at the same time, Ohio State's going to have a chance to play a top five team in Penn State, a potential top ten team by the time that game is played in Michigan. Um, so I, I, yeah, I think you're right. I think it's either one or two. But but what. I think if if LSU is the team that comes out of the SEC undefeated, they're the number one seed. Ohio State's the number two seed. That's I think probably if, right. I think if Alabama ends up being the undefeated SEC team, I think Ohio State can be number one seed. And Alabama's I think that's probably two. true. Just you because think LSU would be higher, just because of like that body of work, the amount with all, the, with all, the, all yeah. those top so ten got wins, three top ten wins. A fourth would be Alabama. Yeah. A fifth would be whoever they potentially beat for the SEC championship. Whether that's wow, um, Alabama's most Georgia impressive wins would just be LSU and then possibly Georgia. Like, and Auburn. Yeah. Plus, LSU will have to go beat Alabama on the road. Yeah. Interesting. That's why, yeah. When you look at the whole body of work. But I think Alabama's going to win that game. So I, I do think uh, I think it might be hard. I, I, I think Ohio State has a chance to be number one. The idea is about seeding, and there's a question about this. I, I don't want to debate people on this. I'm going to ask somebody about it. Does the number one playoff seed get to choose location, or do they get placed in the closer stadium geographically? Clemson and Alabama are only two and three hours away from Atlanta, but OSU rather play them in Phoenix. So you're not supposed to put a higher seed at a ge- geographic disadvantage. Here's the thing. It's Ohio State. There is one place in the country where Ohio State fans can drive to a playoff game. It's Atlanta. It's the This is as close as it gets to Ohio. Mm-hmm. So the idea of like... I know it's an SEC country, but if you ever want people to be able to drive and not have to book an $800 plane 
this is it. So I don't get the idea of like being scared away from Atlanta. Now, the other thing is, believe it or not, Columbus, Ohio is closer to Atlanta than New Orleans, than Baton Rouge is. So Ohio State is closer to Atlanta than LSU hmm. if they somehow wound up playing them in the first round. Clemson and Alabama are both closer. So I think that would come into consideration to not give them a geographic disadvantage. You don't you don't want the higher seed to feel like the road team. But I don't know that they would feel like the road team. Well, so to your think, point, they're Ohio State. Yeah, they travel extremely well. So I so. have to I don't but I don't know if it's Ohio State's choice. I don't think it's Ohio State's choice. I think it's the committee would decide it, but I think the committee could decide it like along those lines. And so like I don't want to discuss it a thousand times, because if you are thinking about it, here's what you should do. And we are probably gonna do this. Book a Southwest flight to Phoenix now. And then if they're not in Phoenix, you can drive to Atlanta. But book it. Because what's your percent chance? Like if we put a percent chance on this, the percent chance that Ohio State's in the playoff right now is what? 85, 95. Book your flight. Make a hotel reservation. Because one of them, we're not asking you to book two flights. You're asking you to book one. So make your plans for Phoenix knowing that you can easily adapt to Atlanta. This is a unique time. The rest of the time you're trying to figure out are we going to New Orleans or Pasadena or are we going to... Dallas or Miami. Those are tougher discussions to have. So if you're considering it, even if you're not going to get a ticket, you want to be there. Think of it that way. Because you don't know. Because A, you don't know necessarily if they're number one, where they're going to go. I still think they go to Atlanta. But the other thing is, it could be a knife's edge. One versus two. And then it's, you're going to get a completely different spot based on that. And you just you just don't know the deal. So I would start planning for that because I think it's, it's a high enough risk that you can is start there a, booking. Is there a world where, like, regardless, like the four, all four teams, like Atlanta is probably their better suited place? Say it again. I mean, like, like, like all, all four of those teams are yeah. in the south. Yeah. No, not even in the south. Where it's <laughs> like, regardless of who's the number one seed, the 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 best location for fans would be like Atlanta. I mean, like, everybody involved this year? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I guess. So it really right. wouldn't matter anyway. Like, Yeah, I suppose. Although, I mean... You're either a, yeah. if you're, you're either one and four, which means you're going to Atlanta, or you're two and three, and both of you are, like, at a disadvantage from, like, a fan travels perspective. But, so, like, the thing is, like, the thing is about number one, if they're number one, if we had to guess right now... If Ohio State's number one, Alabama and Clemson are playing in the 2-3 game. Right. Yeah. So they're not playing Alabama or Clemson. So if I'm Ohio State, and then that fourth team is either LSU or Oregon or maybe Oklahoma, Baylor. Oklahoma or Baylor, okay, yeah. I would want to be eight hours away. Mm -hmm. And you're, So the That's only true. issue is if you're Ohio State at number one and the four is Bama or Clemson. Then maybe you wouldn't want to be in Atlanta, but like I don't think that's very possible. I don't that's know. Not this scenario that I'm like, seeing. It's not like Ohio's half of the ticket allotment, Ohio State's half of the ticket allotment is going to go unsold, and those tickets are going to end up with Clemson. No, right? They're going to. I mean, it's, it's I mean, harder. Than, yeah. I think they had some ticket issues, if I remember right, in 2016, because they've been. People think that like Phoenix is Ohio State's second home because they did the Fiesta Bowl a million times. It's hard to get there. And I know that there's a big alumni from Columbus, base. especially. There's a big alumni base like a, in like Phoenix and in LA and stuff. But like they've gotten to see Ohio State a million times. Let's let the people, let's let the Ohio State fans in Atlanta get to see them in their own backyard, and then everybody else who lives in Ohio can drive. Yeah. 
So I don't, I don't, I'll ask Gene, I'll ask Gene theoretically, what's the deal? If it, is it up to you guys? I think the committee makes the decision and I think geography is the absolute number one thing with the idea of not being a road, feeling like a road team as the higher seed. There's a lot of things with the NCAA basketball tournament. I know this is two different sports, but the NCAA basketball tournament that are determined based on geography yeah. and they are out of the team's control regardless of what their seed is. And that that involves not only where they're sent, but whether they can fly or whether they're supposed to drive to a site, those sort of things, what they get reimbursed for. It's all out of the team's um, purview. It's, it's, it's decided by the NCAA. Do you think from the 419, do you think the Chase Young for Heisman conversation will keep him in the game against Maryland and Rutgers a few series longer no. than he would otherwise? No. Yeah, that's what I was about to say. As much as he needs the stats, I think it's you're not going to mess with a national championship to get him an extra half sack I, against I, Rutgers, whoever they're throwing right, back. That's a good short answer. Yeah. 614, I once finished an entire medium deep dish pizza from Gigi's. Oh, that's Giordano's. And physically couldn't move the next day. God bless Stephen Means on his journey, and God bless you <laughs> for having to watch his journey to heaven to watch a man physically consume enough food to sedate an <laughs> elephant. Um, I don't know. This is, I don't have a good answer to this, but it leads me to a question I do have an answer to. We'll get like two more. What is J.K. Dobbins' NFL comparison? I often thought he lacked the speed and vision to make it in the NFL, but he's looked very impressive this year. I always thought his vision was pretty decent. Um, I always thought he, as a freshman, slipped through holes pretty well. I just, I just don't know enough. I just don't know enough to say he reminds me of. I don't know who, so I don't, I don't have a good answer to that. Um, I think it's important that he's showing what he has in the receiving game this year. No, that's, I think that's good. That's yeah. going to be a big part of his his pro prospects. He's an NFL back, though, and he, te- I mean, he technically came in as an all-purpose back, so like. He has that element. And the, and, and the NFL really isn't bell cows anymore anyway. You can go in and be part of like a two- sure. or three-person committee and, and get, some, get some juice. Uh, but pe- we've had a lot of discussion about Justin Fields' comparisons on this podcast, so I asked Justin Fields today what quarterbacks he likes. I didn't say who would you compare yourself to because a lot of guys back away from that. And he said two NFL guys that he likes their game. You want to guess? Russell, well, I was there, so I'll oh, okay. let him guess. Do you want to guess? Russell Wilson. Russell Wilson <laughs> and Aaron Rodgers. Yeah. That, so, that was actually, we've talked about the Aaron Rodgers comp before. I think it makes a lot so of sense. It's some of that out of pocket magic mm. with also the in pocket ability, but right. also when a play the, breaks down, what you can do. The Russell Wilson one is interesting, though, because like that's like a whole different body type. Like Russell Wilson's like Drew Brees, like as far as mm. size. I mean, if and it's everything. like, if, if, you, if it ends up being in the NFL, it's like, what's Justin Fields' NFL comparison? It's like Russell Wilson plus five inches. Yeah. So it's like, that's a pretty good so Aaron Rodgers. Super Bowl yeah. winning quarterback. All right. I, I think the Aaron Rodgers comp is, is strong. Yeah, I like that. Um, last one. This is crazy. Will Penn, well, this is not 217. Will Penn State present more of a challenge than Wisconsin? The answer is a resounding yes. I can't find this. Uh, I can't find this question. I just saw it. It was crazy, and I wanted to make sure we got to it. If Buckeye Talk was a cabin in the woods, oh wow! And suddenly one of you disappeared. Who would it be, and what would the outcome be from the six one six? And we're going to end with this. Oh, I wow. think it's possible that I would disappear because the two of you would have conspired to murder me. You really think we hate you? No, no, no. I think I can be a very difficult person to deal with for an extended period of time. And at some point, people might just be like, you know what? Can we just freaking murder this guy? And if we were in a cabin and we were just talking and figuring out story ideas and what are we going to do, I think you might murder me. I think it would be Steven that would disappear and it would be because he tried to go eat just all of our <laughs> rations at once. 
And uh, he like stumbled outside and become like so round that he just rolled down the hill off into the lake or yeah. whatever. Yeah. Because he didn't eat. Like we were in the cabin. He didn't eat for the first week. And right. then he went outside and ate. Right. Until he murdered himself. I also think it's possible that Nathan would disappear because like maybe he heard something was going on with Purdue and decided to <laughs> Just kidding. Uh, all right. So listen. <coughs> You didn't say no. You didn't say yeah, no did. to murdering me. didn't say no. You, you did? I, I went, questioned you. He's just like, yeah. We'll see how it plays out. <laughs> yeah. Still pretty new into this I relationship. Like I'm not laughing at this. I mean, I'm not saying I would murder you. I'm also not saying I wouldn't murder you. Um, we've got a lot coming. We've got a lot coming. We will do the pizza podcast next week. We're going to work out the details, but we think we'll do a chunk of the podcast uh, not in a pizza place so we could talk about football without Stephen having food in his mouth. And then we will go and do the rest of the podcast as we talk a little football and also watch Stephen eat. But also, if, if Stephen eats for two hours, it won't just be two hours of like, how's that taste? Mm. Is that good? Like, it'll be like a little more exciting than that. We'll chop it up a little bit so that you guys just get the highlights. Um we appreciate you guys listening. Make sure you're reading at cleveland.com slash OSU. Again, drop the review on iTunes. Follow us on Twitter at Steve and underscore means at NW Baird at Doug LaMaurice. Um, try the texts. Cleveland.com slash OSU for more information. 14-day free trial. What else? We got, We good for the buy? We good for the rest of the buy? I think so. Yeah. Yeah. All right. We will not have uh, – no. I thought before I was going to try to squeeze in some kind of – post-game podcast on a bye week. It's, it's just not going to happen. Um, so we will talk to you. The next time we talk to you, Stephen Means will not have eaten from this moment until the next time we talk to you. All the food that you're going to eat in the next week, just think about the fact that Stephen Means is not eating. He's not eating. He might be able to eat two large Giordano's pizzas by then. And also, maybe we get Giordano's to be a podcast sponsor. We'll see. For now, for Stephen Means and Nathan Baird, I'm Doug Maurice, and that was Buckeye Talk. Buckeye Talk.